If you want to be a premier cop, then you need to learn from the premier police training company in the land. Of course, I'm talking about Street Cop Training. They've got dozens of instructors out in the field right now, sharing their expertise in narcotics, interdiction, report writing, first aid, mental health, case law, and just quality police work. And those aren't even all the topics. There's literally something for everybody. I've attended several classes myself, and I can tell you that these folks cannot miss. Dennis Benino, the owner, is doing massive things for the world of law enforcement at a time when everyone else seems to be running away from it. Street Cop Training is literally the best in the business. Check out their private Instagram and join their law enforcement-only Facebook group to get free trainings, and then check out upcoming in-person and on-demand trainings at streetcop.com. You will not be disappointed. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 108 podcast, Leadership 2.0 with the 108 Leadership Council not quite sure how much further the pendulum can swing. I don't care where you go, just go. That's low-level investment in your people. I have just the utmost respect for those officers who are coming to the job now. Where are the ones at the table? We actually go meet with the DA. It's all about action. We don't get that. You don't like it, but at least you understand. And that's on us. When I think about the supervisors that were my favorite, it was because they cared about me as a person. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome, 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 one and all. It is the 108 Leadership Episode 2.0. I'm your host, 108, and today on the show, friends, we have quite the army of qualified leaders in our episode today. We have going from the Northeast to the West Coast, we have George Franning from Connecticut, Tom Rizzo from New Jersey, Michelle DeCapua, may have mispronounced that, and I apologize, from Florida, we have Kevin Malone from Nevada, and then we have Lamont Quarker from Rialto, California. This episode is filled with so many ideas and theories and just good quality conversation regarding leadership, law enforcement, and the future. So it is a three-hour long episode. This is the longest episode I think I've had to date that isn't a Drunk Cops episode. So without further ado, we're going to go right into it. The first two hours are going to be uh, the guys. Just by the way our, our schedules worked out, it's going to be George, Tom, myself, Kevin, and uh, Lamont. And then the final hour is going to be with Michelle. She had a scheduling conflict where she couldn't be part of the group conversation, but we still covered a lot in that part as well. And then her actual recording cut off. Uh, she hit, she had some uh, bad area, lost it. So it'll kind of cut off, but she's going to be on a future episode and we'll kind of pick up where we left off. Now, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is the episode, and just to remind you from the disclaimer, all the views and comments made are not a reflection of each person's agency, but it is their own personal opinion, so don't jam them up. 
And if you jam them up because we're talking about leadership, shame on you because that's exactly what we're talking about. All right, enough of me. Here we go. Here's the show. Check it out. This is the 10-8 Podcast brought to you by Street Cop Training and Nick Wall Nutrition. Here we go. Wrap me in a bolt of lightning. Send me on my way still smiling. Maybe that's the way I should go. Straight into the mouth of the unknown. I left the spare key on the table. I never really thought I'd be able. Say I merely visit on the weekend. Lost my whole life and a different I've said it so many times I would change my ways No, never mind God knows I've tried Call me a sinner Call me a saint Tell me it's over I'll still love you the same Call me a favorite It's all that I can say So I'll be on my way All right, all right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are at the 10-8 Leadership Academy. This time we've got the whole group here. And uh, I didn't think it would happen. I have, I have high hopes for today, though. Ladies and gentlemen, we have everybody uh, minus Michelle. So I guess we don't have everybody, but we're going to have her clip at the end of the episode. But joining me, we've got from all four corners of the United States. Uh, we're going to start. We've got Sergeant George Frannick from Connecticut. How are you, George? Doing well tonight. You know, tonight we're uh, I'm really excited about this uh, part two. Looking forward Absolutely. to this for a while. Yep. This is uh, one of my highly revered episodes. Part one was, so I really hope we follow up with a lot of good information. Uh, going down I-95, we go to New Jersey and we have Captain Tom Rizzo. How are you, sir? What's going on, man? It's a pleasure to be here tonight. Uh, really nice seeing you guys as well. Likewise, likewise. And then we're going to go all the way out to the West Coast. First, we're going to hit Nevada. So yeah, I said it right. And we have Under Sheriff Kevin Malone. Good afternoon. It's it's uh, it's still early out here for us. So uh, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to talking with everybody. Absolutely. We're excited for you. And it's, uh, you know, I was looking at Tom's video and it's nice and dark there. And here the sun is still has not set. But of course, over at the West Coast, you guys are nice and sunny and Hopefully we're not interrupting your Sunday afternoon too badly. And speaking of Sunday afternoon, not only is it a Sunday afternoon, but if we go out to Southern California, we have now Lieutenant Lamont Quarker, and it's also his birthday. Happy birthday, Lamont. Thanks, birthday. man. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I uh, was totally bummed. I missed part one. Uh, but, you know, court, that's how it goes. You, you know. You make plans and then the subpoena hits. So I'm, uh, I'm really excited I was able to make it this time. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, six months ago when we did part one, you were merely Sergeant Quarker, and now you are Lieutenant. So congratulations on that as well. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So very happy to talk to you guys again. The one big note that I got of the last one was like, why, why is it only guys? I was like, because that was all I could find. And then we found Michelle, who's a Lieutenant down here in Florida. But her schedule, she works today. So like I said, she'll be later in the episode. Um so guys, first off, welcome. How is 
things. How are things going? How is the world in the police world? You guys kind of all have different ideas and walks of life. We'll start with George. How has life been in the last six months police-wise? Um, at least up here in Connecticut, it's been the probably I'll say very difficult. We've had the actual implementation of legislation of a police accountability bill, which has created, I can't say tension, but officers are a little more reluctant to be proactive. Um, A lot of internal issues. We've had a bunch of retirements. Um, We are drastically short on, on cops. And looking at what we have coming in, we're not replacing what's going out. So we know we're going to have severe staffing issues over the summer. So it's uh, it's a very interesting and difficult time just to keep guys, one, just not even motivated, just keeping them status quo. Um, at least up here, it's, it's very difficult. We've had, let's see, the last test that we had, we had 25 apply, 11 made it through. We've exhausted that list. We had six people apply. We have an anticipated 15 officers and detectives leaving. Yeah, we can all do math. Um, There's going to be a lot of holds, a lot of mandatory overtime. uh, And we have no real answer yet from IPD leadership as to what they're going to do. Are they reassigning, you know, specialized units? Are they taking resource officers out of schools? We don't know. So there's a lot of unknowns and trying to quell the rumor mill and just try to keep guys, you know, heads in the game as it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds rough. And is it, I know you guys aren't too far apart, Tom, is it very similar near where you are? Is, is it that tough? Yeah. Uh, you know, we pride ourselves as being a California of the East coast, right? So um, legislation that has uh, handcuffed us and uh, definitely shackled us um, just to, you know, uh, something so silly. I mean, we we're not allowed to pursue for stolen vehicles anymore. And there's a direct correlation with stolen vehicles are being used for shootings and you name it. And uh, again, we can go back to the data and, and the statistics to show that it's the complete antithesis of what we should be doing. Everybody knows it doesn't make sense. Not quite sure how much further the pendulum can swing before common sense prevails. Uh, but leadership's never been more you know, in my opinion, needed uh, the transformational behaviors of just taking care of each other. Kind of like what George was saying. I don't see a a quick fix in terms of logistics, uh, which is all the more reason why this may come off as selfish. But I think now more than ever, we should be investing in the resiliency part of it and start to play chess with uh, how we're going about it. Then we are the checkers. Um, I don't mean that in a way of slowdowns and I don't mean that, but, uh, there comes a point where every other industry looks and they can't make a dollar out of 15 cents. I don't think that we should be able to either. It's just, it's, you know, for lack of a better term, it's just, it's in my opinion, irresponsible and dangerous. I don't know about any of you guys, but I love what I do. Uh, you know, I always wanted to do it, but I also didn't sign up for a suicide mission. I mean, this is like, so we're at that point now where I'm not uh, cynical or I'm not, you know, uh, trying to be nasty, but okay, no problem. You don't want us to do these things. I mean, you have to give us the tools to do it. I didn't say you have to wear blue line shirts everywhere, but uh, it's, it's crazy. So what I, my personal venture is to reinvest in, in what resiliency was meant to be. Um, and I'm talking about the day to day. I'm not talking about the extreme cases. I think that now more than ever is the time to do that. We saw it with the pandemic and, you know, they gave us stuff that we never signed up for. So why not invest in some of the things that are free? 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. we're going to touch on that in just a little bit. Uh, Kevin, what about Nevada? And, you know, you are kind of in an interesting situation. Obviously, you you work in a more rural uh, setting. Um, but how has it been out there? How has staffing been? How has the job been? Uh you know, similar to everywhere else. I mean, sure, we're, we're smaller than everybody. You know, we are rural, but, you know, we do have the same issues, um, just, you know, on a smaller scale. Um, the biggest thing lately for us has been, um, you know, the, the bail reform. Uh, bail reform has been kicking everybody's ass. And, uh, you know, and, and that, that leads to morale issues, you know. And, and uh, you know, the big thing that's been going through my agency lately is, you know, with the bail reform, these, you know, felons getting out within hours, you know, on an OR, they don't even have to post bail anymore. Um, you know, then our personnel, you know, see that and um, they, they don't see the behind the lines stuff. Um, they don't see us fighting with the DA's office and the prosecutors and the judges and things like that, trying to keep these, you know, felons in, in jail. Um, you know, so, so, that lowers their morale. They don't think we're fighting for them uh, or sticking up for them. And um, I mean, I, you know, within the last couple of weeks, that has really hit home for us. We've had, you know, some really hard charging people, you know, just, you know, hitting that burnout and questioning whether they want to do this job anymore. You know, like a lot of us have, you know, and I, I think all of us hit that burnout at times um, or that, you know, that five, seven year mark where, you know, we're just yep. like, fuck it. I want to get out for a minute. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we overcome that. I don't know that we're going to overcome it this time with, with some of these people. Um, you know, these, these kids, they see, they see a brighter um, horizon elsewhere. And I mean, they, they get into law enforcement because that's what they really like. They, you know, it's their passion, just like us, but I, I don't know if they're smarter than us um, where we stuck it out where they're, they're seeing through it and they're like, you know what, screw it. I can, I can literally go, you know, to any other job, which, which out in my area, you know, we're, we're you know, really mining driven. Um, we're the third largest producer of gold in the world. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of these kids know that they can leave law enforcement and go out to the mines and, you know, make 150, 160,000 a year and don't have to put up with any of the bullshit. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's really tough. Um, and, and again, you know, these, these problems have, these problems were, were started and brought to us through legislature, but we're not going to get through it. We're not going to pass them through the legislative process. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's too great right now. And, and honestly, I'd, I'd like to hear from, you know, all of you on, uh, you know, how you guys have also battled this because you, I mean, you guys are big agencies. You guys deal with um, the stuff that I will never deal with. Like I've never dealt with, you know, a Black Lives Matter protest or Antifa or anything like like that. And uh, those of you that, that deal with that, you know, almost on a daily basis still, and you still look at your people and say, hey, you're doing a great job and keep it up. And, you know, it's like, how, how, do, how do you guys pass that? Because, you know, I'm just getting to that point where it's hard to look at my people anymore and, you know, not feel like I'm, I'm blowing hot air up their ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, that's a great question. And we're going to go to it in just a minute. I want to talk to Lamont real quick. Cause he obviously is uh, in the New Jersey of the West coast. I guess Tom would put it that way. How has it been in Southern California? You know, you guys have been all over the news with different mandates and different, um, 
you know, LA uh, Sheriff's Office, they just let go, what, 4,000 different uh, officers because they're not ma- vaccinated and things like that. How has all of this in- impacted your agency? Yeah, so we're in a, like a unique situation here in Southern California. If you look at what's going on in my county, which is San Bernardino County, as compared to uh, like Los Angeles County, Los Angeles is like on the like the extreme end of the spectrum with the, uh, you hit it on the head, the mandate. So um, the County Board of Supervisors are trying to uh, push uh, the Los Angeles County Sheriff to release anyone who uh, is not mandate, or I'm sorry, is not vaccinated. And yeah, it's about 4,000 employees is what uh, Sheriff Villanueva said. So um, if you're following the news, you can see that the rise in crime in L.A. particularly is just out of control. There's one one big thing that's been uh, kind of the hot ticket item for uh, crooks out that way are these follow home robberies. And, you know, it's 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 gotten so bad to where a lot of the more affluent communities are looking at trying to like privatize a police, a police force to where they have, uh, you know, security for the, their little neck of the woods. Cause it is just, is just rampant to lose 4,000 uh, peace officers would be just, just suicide for that, for that County. So the sheriff, you know, God bless him. Cause he's doing everything he can to, to push back and, and not make it a political issue. Just say, Hey, this is a public safety issue. And, uh, you know, no matter where you stand on the, the vaccination and uh, whether you should get vaxxed or not, it's one of those things to where, you know, it's about choice. And that's kind of what the sheriff is saying. It's like, hey, look, uh, I, he being the sheriff says I'm vaccinated, but I'm not going to force my employees to do something that they don't, that they don't want to do. And having these folks lose their livelihood is not only going to affect the employee themselves, but the, the citizens of our, and the residents of LA County. So we're fortunate in San Bernardino County. We, we haven't gone to that extreme. Uh, You want to talk about what's going on in the DA's office in LA. Uh, A lot of, you know, quote unquote, nonviolent crimes aren't being prosecuted at all in, in LA County. Um, There was a report that was done on uh, a lot of the local news channels out here that showed um, a lot of the thefts that are taking place on some of the trains so bad to where there was boxes and trash and all the stuff that had accumulated along the trail, uh, the train tracks where people are just going and hitting um, these cargo trains that are full of all of our stuff we're ordering from Amazon and other places that it actually caused some trains to derail. And mm-hmm. I know a friend of mine actually works for the railroad police and they've caught these folks in, 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 in the progress of stealing stuff and the DA's office won't prosecute. So when there's no consequences for criminal conduct, the crooks are going to continue crooking basically. So mm-hmm. in San Bernardino County though, we're fortunate. Our, our DA is actually uh, doing his job and he's, he's taking a stand of like, no, there's still laws on the books that I'm going to enforce. I'm not going to come up with some arbitrary uh, internal policies within my office to say, well, we understand that there's a penal code section against, you know, going off and stealing or going off and doing various criminal conduct. But, because I want to be progressive, I'm not going to, um, we're not going to prosecute those folks. Our, our DA is, is no, he's, he's still prosecuting. So I feel very fortunate to work in the county that I work in. I have friends who work out in LA and uh, it's sad because some of them, they can see uh, retirement on the horizon and they are seriously considering leaving to go start all over um, someplace mm, else. And it's just, it, it's really unfortunate. And I feel for those, I feel for them. Yeah. And how has it affected your agency specifically? Have, are you guys still good? Your morale still up or are you like everyone else we're, where things are downtrodden? 
you know, it, 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 it comes in, it comes in waves, you know, every, every agency has an incident or something that'll happen in our region that'll kind of affect our morale. But overall, um, it starts at the top and our, and our chief is, you know, he, he consistently just echoes like, Hey guys, do the right thing. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna support you go out, do your job. Um, our residents, because we have such a huge community, uh, support base, it makes it a lot easier for us. Um, even when we had some of the, the protests that went on in, in our city, um, a lot of the folks who came in were from out of town who were trying to cause problems. Yeah. And we actually had members of our city council standing on our, our on our uh, doorstep saying, hey, no, we get that police can always do better and all that. However, for the most part, our police department, are do, are, we're, we're, they are doing the right things. And our community members who actually live in Rialto came out to show support. Like, hey, Luis, we support our, our police department. So a lot of the, I call them just the, the noisemakers who were coming out trying to cause problems, we're not even from our community. So I think for the younger guys to see that and see, again, our police chief and our elected officials support supporting us, it definitely helps boost morale. And then again, those, you know, the sergeants and now me as a lieutenant coming in and consistently just trying to motivate them to say, Hey, I, I know there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on that you see on social media that you see that's pushed out by mainstream media. Just remember that the lady who lives at one, two, three main street here in Rialto supports you and wants mm-hmm. you here. So, um, you know, again, but it ebbs and flows like, like sure. everywhere else. Yeah. And I think that goes back to what Kevin and what Tom and, and what everyone's said so far is, is the burnout level. It's how burnt out, you know, these officers are getting when you have staffing issues, like George is saying, or like Tom is saying, uh, it's hard, even the most motivated officer, the most disciplined officer that wants to be there and is doing everything for the right reason gets to a point when they get tired they they don't want to do it anymore it's like you know how long can i be the one to write the ship so i'm going to echo the question that kevin asked before is how do you look at your guys and get them to keep going how do you keep that fire going i mean at, at a point it burns out so this is an open question i wanted to go to any one of you guys feeling feel to uh chime in and kind of give give your take but how do you look at your guys and how do you get them to keep going Honestly, at least for, for my group, I have a senior group who does the right thing all the time. It, it doesn't matter, you know, the call, they're handling it appropriately. So when I show up on things, it's, you know, it's that constant, hey, you're doing an excellent job, keep it up. It's also letting them vent, um, vent about internal issues, um, be it in the group setting, be it individually, also checking in individually with them. Um, because the other thing is they have some good ideas on how to fix at least internal things where we could do a better job of, of the internal struggle, forwarding that up the chain. At least for me, I, I obviously report to a Lieutenant, Hey boss, this was an idea of handling this. You know, I have an email, I'm forwarding it up and it was from, you know, officer Smith. The issues sometimes that, that can't fix everything. So it's just trying to be that sounding board of, you know, guys, you're doing a great job. Please keep it up. I have one officer who is still motivated, still out ripping cars to the point where other guys on other shifts make fun of him. And it's like, yeah, but he's the one who's wanting to go to training, who wants to better the community. Let's all try to be like him. Um, And some guys respond, some guys don't, but it's also finding that niche of, hey, 
you know, we can only watch so much Netflix before we got to start calling in directed patrols. Mm-hmm. I'll go out and do it with you. But it's hard. It, it really is legitimately hard. I know, like, you know where I, what I stand for. I do the things, like I said, that, that are free. Um, I almost say it's it makes sense to do the things that sometimes we get accused of, which now we've come to believe that we have to defend. And what I mean by that is that solidarity, right? Like the taking care of each other. So for me, I just know that, you know, you can only put so much on the plate before it bends and you fill it too much and the plate breaks. So we constantly lay down and we accept enhanced, you know, procedures, uh, more strict policy, oversight, reformations, more, 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 more. So my attitude is, you know, taking care of the guys for the stuff, uh, again, that's not codified in a policy or a directive. But we have the opportunity to do that. We take advantage of it. I think it's great what George is saying about the positive recognition and, and, and you know, the acknowledgement. But I think that that almost becomes desensitized when, yeah, that's cool. Um, my sergeant, my lieutenant, my captain, my chief support me. That's cool. And that means a lot. But again, I'm exhausted. You know, so that's what I'm saying. I, I look at it as I think now is the creative sense of the term of leadership is what's going to be, you know, uh, crucially important. I think the other part of it, you know, um, like Lamont was saying that when it gets out there, you know, uh, what I, what I laugh at is we have to always sign up for these national reforms where they want uniformed policing, right? Uniform throughout the country. Let's ban chokeholds, let's say, for instance, right? It, when we shake hands for something like that, I think, at, you know, the equal clause should also be, okay, well, then uniform across the country, we prosecute these type of offenses. Mm-hmm. So before you, yep. before you, leaders, that's on us, that's on us. You could, you could give the middle finger to the president and all these, you know, uh, the, these Antifa groups, but where are the ones at the table shaking hands to do these things, proud as a peacock, taking a thumbs up pictures? Hey, cool. We're not going to do this anymore. Okay. What did you, it's a negotiation like anything else. Otherwise, what happens? So you have San Bernardino is not, is doing it. And then Los Angeles County is, is I mean, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. It'll never work. And that's on us. And I think the guys and the girls working in the streets would appreciate to see this, us at the table, you know, the so-called big boys with the, with the scrambled eggs and the ribbons doing something that's good for us. Mm-hmm. Who's it good for then? Right. Like he's like Lamont said it very well. The woman at one, two, three main street, that's who it comes back to serve. Anyhow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not about, it's not about a contractual issue of fringe benefit. It's about the product that we produce. Spot on. I agree completely. Lamont, what, are, what about you? What are you doing to, or how are your guys motivated? How do you keep them motivated? Well, I, I shared this, um, the first time I came on uh, last year about this, my upbringing, you know, where I grew up, uh, I grew up in South central LA, uh, during the eighties and nineties, you know, the height of the, uh, war on gangs or war on crack, the, all, all the stuff that was going on. And I, I tell my guys like, look, even though that we had knuckleheads in my neighborhood who were out doing dirt, those of us who weren't out doing dirt, we wanted the cops there. Cause I wanted to be able to go out and play basketball on the street and not worry about catching a straight bullet or getting jacked from my shoes, which happened many of a time. Folks like us, the majority of us wanted the police there. So even though you go out and you have the loud mouths who are, you know, getting all up in your face with your cell phones, believe me, the folks who, I hate that term, but the silent majority, I, I promise you, I was part of that silent majority. 
we want you out there. There's folks out there who want you out there. So just know that when you're out doing what you signed up to do uh, and you get discouraged, I tell people, you know, try to remember that guy from the interview, the guy who sat down across from maybe a sergeant or a lieutenant or whoever and said, you know what, sir, ma'am, I will do unforgivable things to get hired. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it right now, sir, whatever. And I, I try to, re- and, and it's even for myself, there's days where, uh, you know, no, no disrespect, Tom, but when my captain's giving me, you know, giving me shit for something, I'm like, oh, man, you know, what am I doing here? I need to get out of here. But I always try to think back to, man, think back to that guy, 2003, the guy from the interview. And again, going back to, um, you know, it starts from the top when, uh, you know, New Year's comes around or, or, or uh, you know, big, big holidays for us. Um, our, our police chief will actually come out and ride with one of a slick sleeve officer, not the sergeant, not the lieutenant. He jumps in with, with an officer and goes out and goes uh, in service with them. And that, at least I think back to when I, I was new and I saw um, my then chief doing that, that just that went miles with me. So it's just the little things that we can do as, as, as especially as leaders that can show that the, you know, the line level officers, the men and women who are doing the heavy lifting that, Hey, I appreciate you. I want you to, I want you to stick around. Don't throw in the towel. I know it's hard. And it's, I have just the utmost respect for those officers who are coming into this job now with all this nonsense that is going on this you know, war on law enforcement for them to still raise their hand and say, Hey, I, I I'm signing on the dotted line to come and do my part. I, I have the utmost respect for them. Cause I don't know if I, if I would have had the strength to do that with all this stuff that's going on now, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to go across the street and fight fires. Cause this, this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Hell yeah. It's no easier. One, yeah. No one's defunding the fire department right now. So right, it's, no. you're definitely right. You did something during the, holidays that i thought was very remarkable where and correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure i remember this pretty clearly where you would send the younger officers who had families home during the holidays and you were going to pick up their beat is that correct we did that so yeah it was actually so i was already working that day but one of my captains and another lieutenant actually came in and shoulder tapped some young guy and was like two of them and said hey guys go home and the the captain and my other lieutenant they didn't keep their their uh, their command staff call sign. No, they were Paul Eleven, and they were assigned to a beat, and they're out shagging calls, pulling paper. I mean, it that just went miles with, uh, and that was my 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 team. And I just the next day they just couldn't couldn't believe that. And they talk about, you know, of course we keep in contact with people at our at neighboring neighboring departments and folks we went to the academy with. And when they share that story, they're just like, and the captains and the lieutenant, they didn't do any for any type of recognition. They weren't like, hey, make sure you put this on social media. It was none of that. They just came in at 0600, tapped two guys and says, hey, go home, be with your family. And that went that went miles, man, with with my with my troops. And um something I, I for the next 10 years I have until I can ride off into the sunset, something that I will try to uh, reciprocate and pay forward because that that's what our guys need, you know, yeah. like, like Tom said, I don't, we don't want to desensitize our guys with the, with the good job, pat on the back, even though that's good, but it's, it's all about action. That's, you know, that's exactly action. what I was going to say. Yeah. You so. can, you can get that. And I think talking about getting desensitized, you get all too often that email or, you know, the chief stopping by your briefing or your roll call being like, Hey, I know things are tough, but good. You guys are doing great. Cool. How long until, that's too, you know, like whatever. We don't care about it. But at Action least you speed. guys are getting that. Like my yeah. agency, we don't get that. 
we just get killed with the uh reissuing this memo reissuing this bulletin reissuing this go to power dms power dms power dms so and 100 percent, i agree actions speak louder at, Mm -hmm. at the sergeant level my guys aren't used to getting and it's sad because at least in my agency most of the time, if a supervisor is calling into the office, it's because you, you screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the unfortunate part. At least where I am, my guys have gotten desensitized to the negative. Mm-hmm. When you tell them, hey, you did a good job on this, you know, put them in for an award. Our awards mm-hmm. committee got scrapped and replaced with new people because our police commissioners were like, why are no awards going out? That, that should just be a given. Your, mm-hmm. your guys and girls are going out and doing a phenomenal job. And that's, that's low level, you know, investment in your people. But that's the other thing, at, at least up here, it's, it's very trying at least. In, and I hear all the time from my guys, we had a training where the, the second in command of the police department comes in. I just want to say, thank you for what, well, do you have any ways of, of any input? And one of my guys is very adamant and he goes, yeah, I want traffic to take accidents. And quickly the, the DC just jumped over and says, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you asked for yeah. input. Don't, don't <laughs> shut your guys out that quick. Right. Hey, right. You know what? At least I take a second to think to about it. Or, Hey, you know what, officer, why don't you come meet me? And we could talk about this. At least give the appearance to the rest of the people that you're not just getting shut out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's sometimes the, the shit sandwich that at least I have in my agency is all too often our guys and girls are just getting beat and it sucks as a supervisor who's done the job. It sucks to see these officers in, in that, that realm. And as, as a leader, as, as anybody listening to this, if you are in charge of somebody, you make sure that you take care of them to the best of your ability. Because right now our retention is dropping and, and now there's talk of incentivizing. Well, we all know how that's going to go. We're going to pay you more for staying. Well, that works up until you stop giving a flying crap. Mm-hmm. You know, money only goes so far. So we really need to restructure. And, and Tom, to your point, really change how we do things with our products. Our courts are killing us up here, at least in Connecticut. And it's, it's kind of the same thing with the no bail for you, Kevin, but you really can't explain what's going on at court to your officers. You can't because court's going to do what they're going to do. So it's, it's such a, a conundrum of just trying to keep guys moving forward and not just breaking down and going into the, well, fuck it. This place is toxic. I'm just going to stay and collect my money and go home. Right. And talk about how dangerous that is in the long run, because now all I care about is a paycheck. So I'm not going to respond to that hot call. I'm going to not going to stop cars. I'm not going to do this. And then you think about, and I've talked about it before, you get that lazy guy who, to use Tom's phrase, does the eight and skate, you know, what kind of black hole does that have for your department? Like you could, that's an officer safety risk. Cause he's, his mm-hmm. level's going to go down. Like he's probably a higher chance of getting ambushed in his car or not respond to a hot call. I mean, I think that's just a very, dangerous vacuum at that point when you, when you just start throwing it you know throw chucking it in the fucking bucket you just stop caring you know and, and that's not good for the agency or the people in it not even just that though charlie what you could do is you could show there's been studies about this in other industries um and it's the correlation i use of the sports car or that buick sedan right 
if you never test your potential and actually, you know, be a little bit daring and put some passion into what you do, you could see you reach Kevin's point. He's a couple of years ahead of me, but you, you reach that end where he will be able to hang up his hat and say, you know, I feel pretty good about what I did with this. It's the problem. And I'm not saying they don't exist. There are those eight and skates that get to the, to the end and retire and say, Hey, no wrinkles on my forehead. I'm good. Right. But the overwhelming majority still have that pit in their stomach because they never got filled. So they're still out there searching. And those are inherently the ones that end up resurfacing with a security job or some type of long loss. They still need that affiliation to, to something that they hated so much. Mm-hmm. But it's because they never were able to get that satiate, you know, that satisfying and to feel satiated to be like, I, you know what? Yeah, I'm good. I can check out. I know. And again, Kevin's a couple of years ahead of me. I'm in my 21st year now. I know that when I get to that point, I'll feel good about it. And I'll be, I'm going to miss a lot of it, but I'll be able to say, you know what? Yeah, I, I tapped that gas pedal a couple times. I cleared it out. It felt pretty good. So that's the, that's what I try to use. I try to say, listen, I'm not trying to incite you in being a door kicker. If that's not your gig, it's not your gig. But if you never once get your blood pressure elevated a little bit and get your adrenaline going, um, I think you're going to be sorely you know, regretful. Uh, when you get to that end and, and, and you'll know that that C product was never tested, you know, um, like I said, we all reached that retirement point. Right. But did we all I always said, did we all have a career, though? You got to ask yourself mm, that. That's really well stated. So my, my follow up to that is what do you do to motivate those guys who are getting that level of burnout and or or not even burnout, just kind of they're they're weighing the odds and they're seeing like what is worth the squeeze at that point. How do you kind of instill that? Like, come on, guys, let's keep it going. What how how? And I know you said it's big on the resiliency aspect of it. Well, I do I do a I do a personal and a professional. I do an eval in the beginning of the year that I hand to them. They have to give me a professional goal and a personal goal, not work related. Then what we do in the beginning of the year is I make them show what they need from me to get it. But I have them put what I call like an LAP, like a leader action plan. You show me. You be your own leader. What's your action plan about how you're going to do this? It's sweat equity. You have to come to the table and show me. And then I go about the halfway mark throughout the calendar year. And then we sit down and say, where are we at on this? Don't call it a failure, an administrative failure or a department failure. What have, Have you done your part? And I always do that, but I show I'm investing in them personally because I care about them personally. So we have, we've had guys go for their boating captain license, marriage therapy, um, all personal investments because that's reciprocity and it's got definitely a codependence on work. You, you make the, the private life good and it bleeds into work and vice versa. There's, a, there's obviously that bilateral effect. And I found that to be um, kind of like a, you know, I, I guess the anomaly that, that could be, that could solve a lot of our problems when you show that personal investment. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think so many people, they, the, the job bleeds into their personal life so too much yeah. to the point where, you know, there's no uh, work-life balance. And I like how you're saying where you're forcing that on them. Like, no, what are you taking yeah. care of in your own house? And you're right. That's going to make the work product better, but it's going to make the person providing it better. And that's the most important thing at the end of the day. Yeah. All right. So Kevin, um, we didn't really go to you, but how do you look at your guys and how do you keep them going? How, you know, in, in times of uh, despair, so to speak. So what, what I've been doing, and, and honestly, I've, I've questioned it lately because um, I, I don't know if it's working or not. Um, I've taken a few different approaches, everything from mandating people take their time off 
and, and get a couple good days off and get some good sleep um, and not come back and work that overtime shift just because they want the extra money. I've uh, I actually made one person uh, schedule a vacation. Just told them flat out, like I don't care where you go, just go. I mean, I don't care if you stay home. Just take some time off and just get the hell away here. from this place. But um, you know, to to combat, you know, like, like I said, my biggest thing right now is the uh, bail reform and people getting out and you know not having the trust and the prosecutors and, and things like that. Uh, what I did um, a month ago now is uh, started uh, weekly meetings. And, and again, we're a small enough um, agency and community that we can get away with this. I don't think you guys could probably call your DA and say, hey, I want to start meeting every Wednesday. But uh, thankfully we can. So every Wednesday morning at nine o'clock, you know, I, I grab some people and um, I hold them over from night shift or, you know, whatever. I bring them in on their days off and we actually go meet with the DA and, talk about a what they can do to to better their cases for prosecution so when the da's office gets them they just don't you know they see you know oh, there's no pc there and they just flush it without saying anything but you know it, it lets them get that one-on-one time with the prosecutors and see what they can do better or at least you know the and and i will say this for the prosecutors you know they've been like look you know we, we just got our hands full we got these cases coming up you know that we're going to trial I honestly just don't have a lot of time to spend on yours right now. You know, you don't like it, but at least you understand it. Right. It's better than just a blind, you know, delete on whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Um, So, I mean, that, that, that's been going all right. Um, So, uh, you know, other than that, you know, I mean, like, you know, for, for peace officer Memorial week, you know, I'll, I'll run down to one of our coffee shops and I'll, I'll throw 200 bucks down and just tell everybody, Hey, you know what? Coffee's on me this week. Um, you know, make sure you get in and get it. Um, you know, you know, things like that, you know, and, and I try to pull them in as much as often. And, and, and thankfully my office sits right outside our squad room. You know, if I hear the people chipping their teeth and, you know, being negative and things like that, you know, I'll go in and sit down and have a conversation with them and, you know, I, I try not to be that, well, when I was in your, you know, steps, this is what I did. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll put things back on them and say, so what do you propose that we do to, to make things better? Um, you know, and I'll, I'll share, you know, an, a, an example from when I was a kid, you know, in the job coming up, you know, we had this, this big um, rift in communications between divisions and uh, a few of us, uh, you know, wanted to fix it. So we decided every Thursday night, we were going to meet at this local, you know, bar restaurant thing and invite everybody, you know, and whoever showed up, cool. I mean, and it was, it was away from the job. We had rules that um, you couldn't talk about the job. It was literally just about getting together and getting to know your partners and their families and, you know, and things like that. You know, we made it fun and made little games with it. If, uh, you know, if you made the newspaper that week for an arrest, you had to buy a round for everybody, you know, I mean, just, you know, things like that, you know, and, and it just made it fun and, and, and built that camaraderie within the, the divisions yeah. and within each other and things like that. Yeah. All of that's definitely crucial, I think for team building and things like that. And I think it's so simple, you know, Hey, let's go out for a night and people forget that when I was, when I was on my old squad, I may tried to do it at least once a quarter, just like, Hey, let's go out and, and, and have a night out away from the job so we can distress a little bit. And 
with us, you know, everyone still wound up talking shop, but still it was a way to kind of air grievances in a, in an open forum. So that was kind of nice. So coming into today's conversation, I asked you guys, if you remembered, if not, if you didn't do your homework, that's no big deal. I won't fail you, but uh, to kind of come up with an idea or two to kind of pose to the group and we'll kind of discuss it. So if you did uh, feel free to chip in and we will, we'll start hammering away at that. So I'll, I'll go first. I kind of okay. thought about it. And because uh, I know George and I talked before uh, about leaders who who don't do what they should do as far as recognizing their folks. Um, you know, there's obviously that spectrum. You know, you have uh, George's uh, scenario where you have leaders who aren't recognizing their folks at all. It's just the constant, the constant beat down. Um, and a lot of time the beat down on the officers are regarding things that are beyond their control. You know, legislative changes here in real or in California, I should say the uh, Tom talked about the, the choke hold or the carotid control hold, whatever you guys uh, call it. You know, our California police chiefs association went up to the governor's uh, uh, up to Sacramento to our state Capitol and said, Hey, look, man, I, I get why you're doing it. And, and you're correlating something to what happened to George Floyd. That does, that's, they one has nothing to do with the other, but I'm here to tell you, if you do this, um, you're you're going to may end up having more lethal force encounters because in some cases, that is the only thing that 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 works to stop a violently re, uh, resisting uh, suspect. Um, there, there's a video on on YouTube uh, of our department, uh, starring yours truly, where that exactly happened. I, two of my guys were there were fighting this. I mean, big boy fighting this guy. Um, Tasers weren't working. Impact weapons weren't working. Um, I get there uh, after I had to leave my Panda Express that I had just ordered <laughs> and I see my guys are still fighting with this dude. And this is before the, the ban on the carotid control hold went into effect. And I was able to get on them. And with my long, lanky arms that I have, was able to end that encounter uh, pretty quickly. So it's good for, for, you know, our officers don't know what they don't know. So for me, uh, being, you know, middle manager or even at the time, a, a line level sergeant, knowing that our, our, our chief and his, the California Police Chief Association went up to try and educate uh, the governor and some of the legislators on this to let them know, hey, look, guys, it's not like we're our, our management is just laying down and, and taking this. They are advocating for common sense, like, hey, guys, this, this is something we may want to still keep in our tool bag. It ultimately failed, but it may be something that we can revisit. But just for the, that officer who's got two, three years on, who doesn't really fully understand what's going on, me just educating them, uh, I, I think that helps a little bit. But going back to what I was saying earlier, you know, with Georgia's situation, if if you are that supervisor out there who's not recognizing your people and you're just constantly giving them the beat down and constantly being just a bearer of bad news, uh, I think it would be time to take a look in the mirror and say, dude, what what am I doing? What am I not doing? And um, try to do the little things you can do to try and motivate your folks. And every department is different. We are fortunate enough in, in my department to where, uh, going back to your, your question earlier, some of the things that I, that I do, you know, Tom's right. Not everyone's a door kicker. Not everyone's out there wanting to go after and get dope, guns, and drugs. Maybe they are the traffic guy or girl. And that's cool, you know, because I'm not that guy. And I'm you throw me in a three-car TC and tell me to investigate it, I'm going to be lost. But I have guys on my squad who are all about that and about the, the math and all that. So when we have the time, you know, just doing little things like making that guy our traffic car for the day, 
the life that it breathes in some of these officers, just being able to be, you know, in a special assignment for a day goes a long way, at least on, on my squad. And then for those guys who are the door kickers, you know, I have a couple of those young guys. You put them together and say, hey, all right, guys, you guys are going to be our proactive car for the day or for the night. You know, go out and and, and let's see what you got type thing. So I think it was Thomas saying, you know, things that don't cost anything, just little things that that we can do collectively. And I'm, I'm kind of, you know, glad I, I heard some of the other things that you guys do, things that we can all just take back to our shop and say, you know what, maybe I let me give that a try. That's not to say it's going to work, but um, at least for me, it's been successful for us. And I get it. Not every department has that that luxury to be able to do that, especially if some guys are only fielding two, three guys a night. I, I, I get that. But just little things that that works for us. Sure. Or works just, just a way to like incentivize showing up every day. And, you know, like you said, you're getting burned out, something to maybe freshen the pot and just kind of make things a little new and exciting. I think you're right. And it's nice. You know, Tom talks all the time about like, we need quote unquote garbage men, like people just to fill positions, you know, and, and, and that's fine. And if you're happy with that position, why are we going to downtrodden what someone enjoys? Like if they just enjoy taking the calls and taking reports and they don't want to make traffic stops. Cool. Like, why are we going to badmouth them if that's what they enjoy, you know, or, or something. Talk, you're extent. talking about a guy like Lamont that has no ego standing in his way. And that's why he's probably very effective at what he does. But you know what? You know what's funny though, too. And Lamont, you could use this. These those other supervisors that have that problem, it actually selfishly it makes their job easier by doing those things. It's so funny. They're so reluctant to do it, but their job mm-hmm. would be easier at the end of the day by feeding their guys round pegs, round holes. And then fine, if you want to be that nasty ass supervisor, like in George's case, like they just only do the negatives and the memos and the emails. It'll make you have less of that to do there. You win two now. So that's mm-hmm. what I left. I'm, I'm tired of the tug of war. The other part of it is to believe in the serenity prayer. Everybody's got the bail form problem. Kevin's now dealing with it now, but you know, California's a nightmare with it. We, we of course created the damn thing with us in New York. What I laugh at is I tell guys all the time, we still win. So, okay. I get it. You know, I, I, I quote that, that uh, famous quote by uh, Yeats that put the Irish airman foresees his death where he says, I don't have to love the people I guard, and I don't have to hate the people that I fight. It's just we win still. I took your drugs. I took your money. I took your car. Uh, I I get it. You get out of jail tomorrow. Well, whatever. Do you think Amazon gives a good goddamn that their stuff gets returned? They just still do what they do. They do what they do. So I tell guys, I tell guys, stop worrying about the stuff you can't control. You're not the governor. You're a patrolman. Mm -hmm. You're a detective. You're a sergeant. You're a lieutenant. You're a captain. You're a cop. You do what you do. And these Looney Tunes that do what they do, well, okay, that's what you signed up for. That's the way these crazy, you know, stop watching Fox, stop watching CNN, Mm -hmm. and again, going right versus left. We still do what we do. We still win. We ruined that night of that criminal. I'm going to guarantee you that. That's the way I look at it. Because otherwise, when you go too far deep invested, that's when you bring it home. Mm -hmm. My attitude is you did your job, you did it well, you get home, you're healthy and you're happy, you're good. As far as the things that you told us to write down, I don't know if you saw, I quoted BLM out of D.C. when they were talking about, and they, they, I, I, cho- I stole their term, copaganda. And I, lo- I know we love to fight with these opposition groups, but, man, we could learn from them. They quoted the copaganda, and they talked about handing out the ice cream cones and the dance-offs, and it looks all fancy and cute, right? They're sitting there saying, that's not what we asked for. So there was Lamont talking about South Central L.A. growing up. And what did he say? Yeah, we wanted you guys there. I guarantee you Lamont 
being a good kid, obviously, growing up in that area, would he would have thought it was cool? A black kid growing up, would he have thought it was cool probably to get an ice cream cone from a cop? Yeah, sure. It's not what he was asking for. He just wanted to be respected. He wasn't a criminal, and he wanted to be protected to be able to be a normal kid. That's the beginning and the end of it. But instead, what? We, keep, we, we have to keep doing the fancy stuff. We're telling these communities what they need instead of listening to them. Right. Go talk to the business owners. Go talk to the janitors. These people, some of them don't have a choice. They have to live there. They're not bad people. Go talk to them and say, what do you want from us? If you could choose an ice cream cone or you could choose that our officers out here treat you with dignity and respect and give you the benefit of the doubt when we meet you and treat you like a man and treat you like a woman first, would you like that? Yeah, we would. I mean, it's so simple. They're giving us the answers, but we're smarter than them. So we smack it right out of the way and say, no, we know better. Let me tell you, I've never been to South Central L.A. I'm not going to tell those kids what they what, – well, I don't understand. I just handed them lollipops, and they still said, you know, uh, forget the police. Well, because I didn't even ask them, what do you want from us? Mm-hmm. The other part of it is that accountability. Accountability is a two-way street. I use this example all the time. You saw that Border Patrol thing, the guys with the horses allegedly whipping the people, right? Mm-hmm. And what did you see from every level? We will have an answer within two weeks, and these officers will be held accountable, and ba 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 And okay, cool. What happened with that? You haven't heard another blip. That is a failure on us, not on the politicians and the clowns standing in front of the cameras. Failure on us. Where are the unions? Where are the bosses? Where is all of us to turn around and say, hey, what happened with that case? Whenever we – now look, from L.A., Okay, or a Rialto to, to New Jersey. We all had something to say about George Floyd, right? So I'm saying, where? okay, where's this one? They did nothing wrong. And what do we do? We act like little mice and we shut up about it. And then we wonder why people don't get what we do. It, it's on us. Accountability is a two-way street. I say it all the time. You catch somebody doing something wrong, we'll hammer you. No problem about it, as we should. But guess what? When you turn around and point the finger and it turned out that we were right and we were justified, Mm -hmm. man, you should be shouting that from the mountaintops because you know as well as I do. All you boys know there's 10 to 1 that we get it right, but we're quiet about it, and that's on us. That's on us. You're absolutely right. And I think about during all of the uh, riots and everything that happened, when the one in Kenosha got turned out to be justified, when the one in Atlanta turned out to be justified, all these big ones where the cities burned, quiet. And but that's that's what yeah that but that falls to the administrators who say oh no no even though we did nothing wrong we're we're not going to preach it no you're right Tom preach it from the freaking rooftops and your guys would respond because again having a backbone in this day and age is is like it's a prerequisite that when you get promoted high enough you just get disconnected from from your troops your troops still need to see that a hundred percent a hundred percent. And your communities need to see that. Yeah, and that was actually what's funny. What's funny is you see the return on investment. Then people hold themselves accountable. Then we don't have a problem holding ourselves accountable. Do you know why? Because the men and the women working in the trenches know, well, when we get it right, you're going to be as equally energetic, if not more, to defend it. Absolutely. And and that is the biggest thing I think lacking from our leadership right now is, is the outward of praise quick to uh, condemn in public and not praise in public. Also, they might praise in private, you know, Hey man, that was a good idea. No, let's, let's get you out in front of the cameras the same way that you're going to be out there and saying, Oh, well we fired deputy so-and-so today because he did this. Well, why are we not praising our people at the exact same volume? 
Right. I don't know what you guys do, but I almost dare you to do this. Um, if I'm blessed enough to get the opportunity to make chief where I work, I will institute this. I've already tried to do it with the press conferences I do. Why should I be talking out about that? Like what I love to do is recruit the officer that did the chase, recruit the officer that made the arrest. And you know what you do? Have them stand in front of the camera and say, why don't you tell us? Why don't you walk us through what happened that night? What, what did you see? What did you it makes them feel like, you know, you don't, whether you do it well or not, it just makes them feel like they get to tell it from their perspective, from their lens. And what happens with that? Understanding. You know, mm-hmm. grab some of the people in the community like Lamont when he was growing up and say, what did you think about when you just tried to play basketball and you would get jacked for your shoes and you saw black and white go by? Did you like that? And he and what? There's so many people. I don't think that they're silent. I know Lamont said before, and he hates to use that cliche. Me too, Lamont. But I'm saying I, I don't think that they're very silent. You know why they're called the silent majority? Because we don't ask them for their opinions. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. And you know, going back to what you guys were just talking about a few minutes ago. You know, we had. I'll speak on this because it was it was pretty publicized when we had a uh, we we detained. Uh, Bob Marley's granddaughter a few a few years ago. Um, she and some of her friends were staying at an Airbnb in our city, and a neighbor called in because they didn't recognize them and said, "Hey, I, I think this may be a burglary in progress." I think so. Our bo- our guys roll out, and um, it was pretty apparent early on in the contact that it probably wasn't a a burglary. But um, you know, their their initial response was, "Hey, we're we're going to catch some burglars. Let's start the helicopter and all and all these and all these things." So what ended up happening was someone in that group basically filmed maybe a thirty second uh, interaction that showed you know the the large police response, the helicopter, and it goes on social media. So you can probably see where this is going. Oh, we were detained because of you know we're black and so on and so forth. And you just kind of turned into this thing. So. Our admin at the time, I was a, I was a sergeant at the time, but our admin took a look at that. And we are a department, we deploy body-worn cameras. And they looked at that and looked at what had occurred. and was like, oh, no, no, no. These folks were treating, treated with nothing but respect. And if anything, uh, some officers, uh, some folks actually looked at it like, you know, usually when you're dealing with a potential burglary suspect, you do hold people at gunpoint and all that other stuff. There was none of that in this case. Because, again, the officers who responded were pretty savvy and said, you know what? I don't think this is what it is, but we still need to do our due diligence to get a hold of the homeowner and all this stuff. So anyway, our chief um, called a press conference and released the body-worn camera footage in its entirety to completely dead that situation. Mm -hmm. Because again, it had started picking up a lot of traction on social media and some of our watch commanders did nothing for two or three days, but field phone calls from all over the country. I mean, everywhere, people calling in, telling us what big pieces of shit and bigots we were and they were completely ignorant to what actually happened and would put it into that call a press conference, release the body worn camera. And that was the end of that. Mm-hmm. So had someone have followed up with the border patrol incident, they probably could have put it into that pretty early on. Right. And they, they failed to do that. So I looked at that and learned for, like you said, Tom, I, I have aspirations to lead an organization one day. That is something I'm going to keep in my back pocket to remember for the future. Like, you know what? If there's some evidence out there that completely is uh, that will exonerate my folks in the court of public opinion, which, you know, it sucks that we have to deal with that, but it is what it is. Cell phones are everywhere. Social media is everywhere. Yep. Instead of everyone else telling our story. No, no, no. I'm going to come out and sure. release what we can to show. Look, now what's being perpetuated on, you know, Instagram, where all these young guys are getting all their quote, news from is not true. Here's what happened and release the full unadulterated unedited version of our body worn camera to show oh you know what 
maybe these guys did it right this time, you know, mm-hmm. and put it into it. But you yeah. say you say it very well, and I say this all the time, you can't start a book in chapter three. I always go back to, no, no, no stop right there. I know you, you're starting on the video where they're tackling and punching and doing all this good stuff. Let's go back to chapter one. Let's just talk mm-hmm. about, I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm giving you facts. Mm-hmm. When a cop gets jammed up, what do they do? They talk about how long he's been employed for, where he works, how much his salary is. Why don't we do that with a suspect? Hey, guess what, guys? The cops acted this way. You might say because he has brown skin or olive skin or blue eyes or brown eyes. I'm going to tell you the cops acted that way because he has 50 pages of criminal history. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. chapter one, boys. Yeah. See my point? I mean, this is what I mean. Is that my opinion? That's a fact. I didn't do it. I didn't create it. That's a fact. Yeah. It's crazy because I've heard in multiple cases that when you are detaining someone, you like, let's say, uh, let's just say Kevin is a suspect in my neighborhood. I know him. I've arrested him multiple times for narcotics, for break-ins, for violent crimes. I see him on the street. It's not racial profiling. It is criminal profiling because I know he's a criminal. But did you know, and I was told this in a training class, that you cannot use a person's prior criminal history as a reason for detainment. And I said, that is ridiculous. I I, I know he's a criminal. It's kind of like, you know, just kind of waiting for it to happen. So why don't I wait for him to do a minor traffic violation or, you know, to, to litter on the ground before I detain him? Because if I can get him off the street for something minor... Well, like you said, Tom, then we win for the night. Like, he's not going to break in. He's not going to shoot somebody. And it goes back to, you know, the rewriting the laws or whatever, or decriminalizing whatever. It's crazy. Let me ask this. When when did the Terry stop go away? Because exactly what you're talking about is, is like, you're waiting for me to commit a crime before you stop me. But like, like, you know, I'm a shithead and I'm walking through your neighborhood at three in the morning, you know, wearing all black. Yeah. Like you don't have to wait for me to do something wrong. I'm already doing something wrong. Yeah. I mean, and the Terry stop is there for that exact reason. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But like, like Tom was saying, like we need to perpetuate all this. We need to say like, this is why we looked at Kevin Malone at three o'clock on a Tuesday night walking in this neighborhood, not because of his skin, not because of anything. Let's lay it all. If you want to call, you know, whatever, whatever, let's look at everything and let's examine every single fact of the case, not just that three, the 30 second video clip that happened to make it to Instagram live or whatever. It might but be. so the, there you go. You know, I'm just going to throw this out too. Not that, not that the probable cause declaration always makes it, you know, to the social media with, with the video, but I mean, that that's when it's also on, you know, our officers and deputies and things like that to articulate you know, that the suspect's history, the 50 pages of, of criminal background and, and arrests and, you know, what we know of them, you know, when we do that booking, because, you know, when, when the media picks up on that, you know, they're going to look at that. And, and if they if they choose to ignore the, you know, the, the background of the suspect and, and just focus on the video, then that's on them. But that also gives us the opportunity to combat that. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, all have, we all have social media pages. We all have press conference opportunities. We all have that as well. So we can control our own narrative when they want to put the picture up there, you know, of a, a, a 10 page criminal history, known gang member, you know, a two time shooter. And they want to put the picture up there of graduating his eighth grade at his communion. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, fine. That's your right. You know what picture I put up? Oh, uh, yeah. This was on his 43rd arrest that we have. 
I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm not making it up. That's the that's that's who we saw that day. We didn't go take the kids selling Girl Scout cookies and plug them behind the ear. That didn't happen. But again, that's like you said, Kev, we're not controlling that narrative. So I always say it. So then stop worrying about what happens outside the four walls. Worry about inside the four walls. Once you start to do that, I'm telling you, you see a reciprocity. You just do. Yeah. You just do. And yeah. when you control it, again, if the only people that get that message are the people at 123 Main Street and your own people, I'm good with it. Yeah, well, the that's the thing. No, go ahead, well, George. I'm sorry. Um, that also starts with our body-worn cameras, though, because we can control the narrative, per se, right from the rip. Because if your officers are going, sir, ma'am, please turn around, you know, you, you, you show them the steps. At least up in Connecticut, we have to show that we de-escalate. That we sit there and try every means necessary before we use force. Well, it starts with the narrative on the body cam. Hey, I don't want to have to put my hands on you. But if you keep doing this, I'm going to have to. So I'm telling you, you know, put your hands behind your back. Do it. Do it now. Okay, you didn't do it. Now I'm going to use force. You can control your, you can narrate your own movie right then and there. So when it's played in the court of public opinion, wow, that officer really had no other choice they had to go hands-on. They had to use force. And in those instances, you'll immediately see that return on investment of, wow, the community is going to sit there and go, all right, our cops really tried. This officer really tried. And, and that's not even going to court. That's just in the court of public opinion. So that was one thing that was recommended in, in our training classes. And I didn't, you know, as a patrolman, you don't really pay a lot of value to it. Now as a, a street-level boss going, wow, all right, that could pay dividends Pretty quickly, we need to start really doing that. Yeah. It's funny you mention that. The first time I saw that was with one of my newer officers, and he must have attended some class where he saw that. And I'm sitting here watching it. It was an incident that led it to a use of force. And he's telling, he's, he's, he's actually narrating things that his body worn camera actually is not catching yeah. because it only has such a, so much of a field of view. So I end up calling this guy down. I'm like, dude, what the hell are you doing? What is this? And he breaks it down to me, and I'm like, you know what? That's actually a really good idea. And you have to be open-minded because I could have easily have said, no, nah, dude, that's stupid. You, you know, that's dumb. No one wants to hear that. But in, in hearing his rationale and looking at it like objectively, like, wow, dude, actually, that's, that's, a, that's a really good idea. That's a really yeah. good idea. So with, 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 with telling our story, you know, some departments are really bad at it at, uh, at capitalizing on social media. If you are one of those departments, because, you know, Folks, you know, some folks are just out of touch with technology or whatever the case may be. I guarantee you, you have some 22 or 23 year old cop who can come in there and educate you on exactly how to put stuff out so that we aren't constantly pay, uh, playing catch up when things yeah. go viral or whatever the case may be. Um, some departments are really good at it. Some are not. And there's companies out there that, that can help departments. I just it just still blows my mind. Departments who aren't either on social media because Again, most of these folks who are, are the, the, the keyboard warriors are getting their information from social media. So uh, I know when we have a, a critical incident, a lot, our, our social media engagement, you know, skyrockets. And we do our best to try to capitalize on, on putting out facts. It's, it's not even we're trying to spin it or whatever. It's just we're putting out it is what it is. Like Tom said, hey, this is the photo of the guy that we stopped that day. It wasn't the guy in the graduation cap. It was this guy on and on his open you know instagram page where he's sitting there holding up a mac 11 throwing up gang signs yeah. this is who we were dealing with not the graduate from you know six seven years ago from middle school so i, I just 
I just encourage those departments out there who aren't doing it to start doing it because yeah. you, you, you can really help your help yourself. I've noticed that if you have a department that is active on social media, it is really hard. You know, that's our main way of getting news now is social media. It's Facebook and Instagram. So if you have a, an agency that's big on social media and they're really getting their message out and not only that, but let's not wait for a critical incident. Let's start putting stuff out there ahead of time. So we know to expect this, you know, if, a, if an officer makes a good arrest, if he does something good, obviously, you know, I would say stay away from the low hanging fruit, you know, the handing out the ice cream cones and things like that, like show them doing police work. Cause that's what good cops do. They do police work. They make traffic stops. They make uh, con- uh, conscious efforts to improve the community. So that way, when a critical incident comes out, well, first off the community knows, Hey, what's going on. Let me go to, the department's Facebook. I know I'm going to see what's going on, but also they'll know that like, this isn't biased. This is what is happening. This is our city. And I know a lot of people or a lot of departments may not like to put out the crime trends because they, you you know, they want to downplay that there's a criminal element, but stop. Like you're the police, you deal with crime, show what's out there, show what your people do. So that way when bad things happen, you know that the good people showed up to go to work that day. And I feel like it's all about we're so big on being proactive, right? Every single one of us likes being proactive. Well, why don't we apply that proactivity to other aspects of our career and our agencies? I think keeping an open mind on social media, I know a lot of the older generation will be like, social media, I don't know what that's about. Okay, then get someone who does and watch what happens. I follow uh, Lamont, you showed me the page. There's a, there's a California company that teaches law enforcement agencies how to properly use social media to get their engagement up, to get their, their message out there. And every one of those agencies that I've come across, I can tell that they're the ones that this, this company has trained because I'm engaged in what I'm seeing. I'm learning about their department. And then when there's a shooting, when there's a critical incident, it's out there and it's clear as day what happened that day. It's not just somebody throwing it together last minute. So, hey, real yeah. quick, offline, Lamont, would you mind sending me that? Um, I will. I, I will. I um, I don't know if this will be edited out or whatever, but yeah, it's it not a plug. I don't work for them, but uh, it's <laughs> Law Enforcement Social. Um, she travels. Uh, the the One of the owners, Tamron, she's, she's awesome because she she helps to help you tell your story. We know the facts of what happened. It's just she comes in and helps you present it in a professional way to where – no one wants to see the screenshot of your press release. I promise you, no one's reading correct, that crap. Correct. But oh, right. having your chief or your undersheriff or one of your captains up there educating the, you know, 64-year-old lady who uh, has, you know, no, no idea about police tactics and all and things like that help you to build a foundation of, hey, this is why we do what we do before we even get into, okay, this is what happened on the night of January 1st, 2012, you know, whatever the case may be. And, Again, they don't pay me. It's nothing like that. But Law Enforcement Social, they're out of California. And I'm sure there's other companies. But that's uh, someone that we've worked with. And lots of other departments in our our, uh, area have worked with. And I've seen her go to Texas. I mean, they're out there who can help. And she's former LEO too. So she gets it. Yes. Yeah. So so absolutely, Kevin. I'll uh, I'll definitely send you the the contact info. Right on. Thank you. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we do our best. But, you know, being a small agency, you know, I mean, you know, our, our, uh, our argument is often um, we don't have a budget to support that. But in things such as this, you know, I think it'd be pretty easy to, to find that budget 
you know, and I'm sure there's lots of small agencies or people that work for small agencies that, that listen to this podcast. So, um, you know, it, it, like I said, it, it'd be easy once we see that benefit, it'd be easy to find that money. Um, because, you know, I, I, I oversee our, our Twitter page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page. And I'll tell you flat out, I hate it because like, I have a lot of other shit to do. So when the sheriff's like, hey, we need to get this out, I'm like, cool. Like when, like, like, when I get a chance, like, you know, so oftentimes, you know, I'll be here, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night. Oh, shit. You know, I got to bang this out for the sheriff. And it's like, you know, like you said, you know, pick one of these 22, 23 year old kids who are really good at it, right. you know, it's, it's, uh, because I suck. I mean, like, I, I, I have this stuff, but, and, and, you know, I'm friends with almost all, <laughs> you see how little I post on my own stuff. <laughs> I, I like, I like reading and following everybody else. I don't like sharing. Uh, right. So, but, you yeah, know, and that's where, it. where, when you know your people and like, you know, let's just, for instance, you have one of us who does post a lot. Let's just say you have rookie Tom Rizzo, who is all over social media. He likes making infographics or he likes doing whatever. If you knew your, you know, if you have like, you go to your sergeants and go, Hey, who is like really good at social media that could really post something. If you have an adequate sergeant who knows their people, not just on the job, then you can go, Oh, well, you know what? This guy said that he, you know, I don't know, does cooking videos on his time off and he posted to a YouTube page. Maybe you might want to see him. You might know a couple things about video editing and then you get him and boom, before you know it. And that's a free resource. That's literally just from knowing your people and going from there. And it could easily be applied one way or another. Obviously the one company I spoke about, that's an option, but Tom talks about doing things that are free. You have the people there. And I guarantee you, especially now the people coming in know way more about social media than like even I do. Uh, and if we use that resource, imagine the things that can come from it, even to the point of, and I thought about this when hearing you guys talk, what if on downtime, we post a video or an infographic about, Hey, this is what a Terry stop is. This is a traffic stop. Teach yep. the people. So that way, when it comes up, it's not a foreign concept to them. Just an idea. We and did then- that. We did that about, we did that about Pennsylvania MIMS. And we said, listen, you know, we just figured we'd let you guys know that for no reason whatsoever, we could tell a driver of a car to get out of it. And we said, now we know that sounds kooky to some of you guys. We get it. We understand. But here it is. And Lamont hit the nail on the head. I mean, people are not paying attention to those typical antiquated traditional press releases, right? You know, on such and such night at such and such time, we conduct it like that. that those days are dead. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be representative of most people. Most people don't talk that way. So if you yeah. want the connection, I say this all the time, you want the connection with these communities, stop checking boxes and check yourself and just do it the right way. Talk to people like they want to be talked to in a regular person-to-person conversation. That's what you're doing. You're wearing a uniform, I get it, and, and that's what we think makes us different. They just want to hear what happened. And stop answering to the and pandering to the pundits. Go answer to your community. They're like you know, like uh, you guys were saying with some of those protests that happened there, people not even from your area. We had the same thing. They were getting bust in from as far west as Chicago that were doing our mm-hmm. protests. Those aren't the people I need to talk to. I'm not. I'm good. I'm good. That's not. I'm not going to talk to those folks. I'm going to talk to people that, that, that I work for, and those are the people in my mm-hmm. community. Yeah, absolutely. Once I accepted the fact 
uh, when I got on a social media team. And, and for Kevin, I, I feel for you because I know before we got our social media team started, it was just the chief's executive assistant who was in yeah. charge of all of mm-hmm. the social yeah. media stuff, which was completely unfair to her because, you know, she has a mountain of shit to do of our own. So we had a, a captain who lateraled into our department uh, from our sheriff's department. And he, he kind of has that media mind. He was, in charge of the media monster back uh, when the Dorner um, rampage was going on. The guy, the former LAPD officer who went around uh, killing, killed an Irvine, I'm sorry, uh, killed uh, someone out in Irvine, killed a Riverside police officer, and then ended up on in our mountains um, and basically went at it with the SWAT team. The media coverage that converged on that was just insane. So when he came to our department, he looked at how we were doing our social media stuff. He says, you know what, we, we need to, even if we only have over just a little over hundred sworn, but even with that, he says, we need to have multiple people who have access to our social media, who can at a moment's notice at three o'clock in the morning, someone who knows what he or she can put out um, who can do that because just having it on one person is just, it, it's not, it's not fair to that one person. It's not fair to your department. And uh, it's for us, it, it was a game changer for us. Once we got the right training and we had six people who have access to all of our different platforms who can get information out that aren't that the cut and paste uh, press release is basically a photo of the press release that no one's reading anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's all a great idea. It, it really is. And it's, it's invaluable to the community. Another idea that I had while thinking like down here, when we have um, like hurricane evacuations, we'll go door to door and we'll be like, Hey, you know, uh, hurricanes come and want to make sure you're well put together. Or if you know where the evacuation route is cool. Well, why not have your community outreach team or just someone on patrol go door to door and be like, Hey, I remember I did this um, right before I left my agency. I went door to door to people in my beat. And, you know, if they were out washing their car or whatever, just like, Hey, how's things going? Having any problems on the street? Like, are there, what are your just simple community engagement? It is not because, you know, grandma, 67 years old and up, she's probably not going to be on Instagram or Facebook. So you need some way to reach her too. So maybe a door hanger, something in her mailbox, or just going door to door and saying, Hey, how you doing? Engaging the community that way. And, you know, here's some things that we've been working on. I think there's just so many different ways that you start taking care of that lady on 123 Main Street and it's just going to keep, then you get the ripple effect, you know, and it starts to engage in the community beyond that. Like, oh, did you know that Officer Jones came to my house the other day and he just checked on me? I mean, I don't know. I can't see a negative point at this. Well, that's yeah. that's the other thing too. With with our officers, we're all very reliant on the cruiser. Um, at least up here, some of our larger towns still have mandatory walking. Um, when I first got on, we had mandatory walking beats. And uh, when I was a school resource officer, I was assigned to one of our parks for two summers. The amount of information that you as an officer can talk to about yep. or information that comes back to you from the community is huge. And unfortunately, with, with our staffing crisis, we're not going to be able to have those engagements because we're going to be just simply responding to calls, which sucks. But in an ideal world, and I, especially with nicer weather, at least coming up soon to be spring, my guys, I told them, look, get out of your cars. It's a beautiful day. Let's go walk Mm -hmm. around. Let's go hang around the park. That is making a deposit in the bank. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because what ends up happening is if every officer goes out and makes one contact that day, and it's a positive one, just a, hey, good morning. How are you? 
is your neighborhood having any problems? And being a genuine listener, not just being a, oh, I was Don't told just by check my the sergeant box. to go do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Actually showing genuine interest, you're putting a deposit in a bank. So when you do have that critical incident or you do have that, holy shit, things went completely sideways, your community can sit there and go, all right, the department had to make a withdrawal out of that bank, but guess what? We trust them. We know them. We have a great rapport. You know, and I know, Kevin, you had talked about like BLM. We had multiple rallies, none of which got out of hand. In fact, some of my officers were on CNN, national news, because they were out protesting with the protesters. And it was just a conversation. We had zero issues because our community knows what we're about. And the same token is we, we, are, we have a vested, genuine interest in the community. But that doesn't happen overnight. And that's where leadership needs to employ those people who are really good at school resource officers, at the community resource positions, putting the right people in those positions that are going to go out and not sit there and go, well, I'm only here for the overtime. I'm only Mm -hmm. here for the Monday through Friday. They're there for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. A lot of our newer cops have this drive to really want to work with kids. I, look, that's freaking phenomenal. Employ them, put them into, into these positions where they can grow and expand. Because now guess what happens? Those same officers are making inroads into the communities right. and it will pay dividends down the road. Exactly. They're what happens gonna... in 25 years, that cop's getting ready to retire, but that eight-year-old that he played basketball with or that he talked with, well, now he's an adult. Mm-hmm. Now he has his own kids. So, you know, maybe you know, let's say you form that relationship and he was told when he was a kid that the cops were bad. Now he had this one-on-one interaction with a good police officer. Now he has kids and the, you know, maybe the kid's friends are saying, oh, the cops are bad. No, no, no. You know, I had interaction with the cops and it was great. And it, it's that ripple effect. You're absolutely right. The other thing too is, I, and I've seen it firsthand, the, the Explorer program or the cadet program. Right now I have, last count, it was about 14 former explorers that are now active police. Yes, there's a cost. There's manpower. There's all that. But right now, those are the kids who are not only trying to build their resume, but they're interested in community service. They're the ones who we can tap into that will swear an oath to uphold the Constitution to the community that they've already been serving since they were 14 or 15 years old. That's a program that if, if... chiefs and higher ups can really have the right people running that's also a recruitment tool you can get great candidates that you already can kind of spin up pretty quickly because they already know the ins and the outs of the department as well as the ins and the outs of the community yep you're absolutely right most of those kids come from the community that they live in like for our explorer program i think all of our explorers actually live there in reality i don't know if that's a requirement or not but i I know many of them do and we're the same same boat we have a lot of officers uh, now who came up as explorers and then we actually have a paid position police cadet where they work the front counter do some uh some some minor things so you're right yeah that's been a huge recruiting tool for us yeah. And talk about ownership. You're going to take ownership of what happens in your community because you're from the community. So you're not going exactly. to let anything bad happen to it. And if it does, you're going to be like, whoa, 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 don't talk trash about my community because yeah. it's where I live. And it's just, it goes end on end. It's one thing like me, I was an implant. I didn't work where I lived right away. Um, so I had a little different point of view, but when you find someone that's like, no, I've 
born and raised here. You know, I went to school here. My, I was born in this hospital, totally a different mindset. And then when you interact with the people in the community as that officer, you have that to relate to back to as well. And it goes back to what you said, Lamont, in the very beginning, be that person that you were on your hiring interview. Like, cause I know everybody says, Oh, well, I'm just going to get out and I'm going to walk this beat and, uh, and talk to people that way. And how many people actually do it? Well, if you finally do, and you literally put in the legwork, so many things can come from it. I learned so much by getting out and actually talking to people. So, um, so let's take a quick break. Uh, if anyone needs, uh, what, what did Dave Grossman say? He said, uh, urine levels down, caffeine levels up, and we'll be right back to uh, restart this recording. And uh, we'll be right back. Did you know that in the years 2017 to 2018, the American obesity rate was over 42%? Did you further know that police officers are 25% more likely than the average American to die from obesity-related illnesses? These are diseases like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and high blood pressure. So what do we do? Do we continue to stay victims to shift work and terrible nutrition options while going call to call? Or do we do something about it? Well, I decided to do something about it, and that's why I started working with Nick Wall Nutrition. Nick is one of less than 100 professional nutritionists in the entire United Kingdom and has worked with many professional athletes from soccer, rugby, cricket, and even Team Great Britain. And all of his plans are backed by pure scientific evidence. Eating the foods you love and losing weight doing it. No fad diets, no pills, no powders, and no god-awful detox teas. Nick is the real deal and was named Nutrition Specialist of the Year for the year 2019 to 2020. Check him out on Instagram at NickWallNutrition or NickWallNutrition.com and join Nick's team and change your life. All right, we are back. We have the Leadership Council 2.0. Once again, I want to thank my guests for hanging out with me. Again, we've got Lamont Quarker, George Frannick, Kevin Malone, and Tom Rizzo. This has been great. I hope everybody's taking notes. Uh, I've got one more topic I want to throw out to you guys, and then we're going to hit the listener question. So the thing I want to know, and this was a big thing for me about six months ago when I was like, you know what? I'm done on the road. Uh, I'm done wearing the, the gear for now, maybe forever. We'll see amongst or amidst all the problems that are going out there, bail reform, burnout, uh, is the juice worth the squeeze? It takes a lot of toll on your body, but it takes an even more toll on your brain. So my question is, what is the mental health and resiliency culture in your agency? And how do you, you know, prepare your guys and support your guys to make sure that they're good upstairs as well as everywhere else? So whoever wants to go first, go for it. Uh, I'll go full send. So uh, morale, as well as mental health, currently in my police department is probably in an all-time low. Nothing has been done about it in-house except mandatory trainings, which always go over so well. But the other issue is we, my wife and I started Project 109 um, for mental health for first responders. We've had some inroads with that, but nothing's really changed. The culture of the, of the police department, unfortunately, is, well, we don't see a problem. There is no problem, so we don't acknowledge it. The only thing I will say is currently they are accepting applications for a service dog. It is meant for the community as well as for the officers. They are selecting a handler. It has been already trained. Um, the officer would end up um, housing it at home. Um, and, and this is kind of the first steps into also starting a peer team um, for mental health, which is something that 
we are so far behind the eight ball on this. It's, it's actually kind of disheartening um, from someone who is a huge mental health proponent. Um, but that's at least how it is in my PD right now. Um, but that's where it's also on your individual officers or supervisors who really, really know their people in and out to really do check-ins and, and, you know, have honest conversations with them. And it's unfortunate because it's not an admin thing. It's a, it's a patrol officer or a sergeant thing. Sometimes some lieutenants get involved, but it's, it's lackluster at best, at least here. So you're not the only one, George. Um, I mean, we, we don't have any of that. Um, it was just, a, so I've been an ed, admin for now for a, uh, almost eight years, I guess. But uh, we've never had any of that. Um, and literally in 2010, when I went through my shooting, um, I had a guy show up on my doorstep with a bottle of whiskey and said, drink this. You'll feel better once you're done. And I was like, I mean, even back then, I was like, whoa, dude. That's not the no, thing. no, that's not what we should be doing. <laughs> I was like, man, no. I'll drink it, but later. But uh, so we started a uh, critical incident stress debrief type program. I call it a program. It's literally one person right now. But, um, you know, she's been great. She, she'll go into dispatch. She'll she'll talk with the deputies. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to build off of that. But. I think for the most part, I'm going to go out on a, on a whim and say probably 95% of the agencies don't have something like that yet. And, uh, and you're right. We, we need to be better than that. It's a people problem. It's not an admin problem. It's not, it's not an admin function. It's not a sergeant or supervisory function. It, it's, it's literally all of us. Um, and we all need to do those buddy check-ins on our partners or our subordinates or, or whoever, because, uh, I mean, I'll tell you flat out, I still remember and deal shit, deal with shit that, you know, I did, you know, when I was in the beat and, uh, and, and I've been on patrol pretty much for eight years. Um, you know, and, and we need to be better about talking about, it. um, and, and, you know, put that macho bullshit aside and, and just say, Hey, look, you know what? I've been there, man. And this is what I did. Um, and I, I will tell anybody and everybody that I still see a psychologist. Um, I mean, I drive a couple hours to do it, but, you know, I've been seeing him for years and um, I have zero shame saying it um, yep. because up until I started seeing him, I was drinking a shit ton. Um, and, and every night when I went to bed, I would see certain images um, of a case that I did. And that was the only way that I got sleep. And uh, I was happy that I noticed I started having an issue. And um, I was happy that uh, I had already known that psychologist or at least known the name because, you know, he's the one that really got my shit dialed back in. And um, I have no shame in admitting it. But that's that's also the whole thing, too, of I've gone and talked to I've gotten help from from a therapist and it it's been a huge help for me but also being open and honest to anyone who wants help or you think needs help is saying, Hey, you know what? I've been in your shoes and I went and talked to someone Mm -hmm. that, that can immediately break that. Like, wait, what? No, you you couldn't have, you got your shit together. No, I don't. And I, you don't know me outside of work, but I can tell you, I do not have my shit together and that's okay. 
I've went and talked to help. And that, but that's the whole point of, of mental health is removing that stigma of, you know, asking for help is the hardest step in the whole process or recognizing, Hey, wait, I might have a problem because we're great at giving advice. We suck at taking it, especially in, in the police world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We're so good at fixing other people's problems. Meanwhile, our house is in such disarray and that's kind of the, um, right. the way I look at it is, you know, we're good. You tell me to go, you know, to a domestic and tell people how to get their shit in order. Great. And then it's like, wait a second. Why do I not take my own advice when I go home? And mm-hmm. that's such a, it's such a terrible thing, but it, it's unfortunately too true. So Lamont, what about you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I talked about, um, you know, losing a, uh, my partner and best friend uh, on your show and a lot of the struggles that I went through. And I think it was the, uh, when uh, George and his wife from project 109 were on here, they talked about uh, one of them said, you know, the, the days of, you know, suck it up and get back out there. You know, those, those days are over. And, but it's incumbent upon everyone who we work with to make sure we do away with that stigma. So for me personally, you know, the story I shared on your, on your show is a story I, sh- I share every uh, deployment period. Every six months is when we change our shifts. Um, and towards the end, which we're actually coming up on the end here uh, soon at my department, uh, I, I share the entire story about losing Sergio and the circumstances that led up to it. I, I talk about who he was and you know the family he left behind. But then at the very end, I talk about the struggles uh, that I endured afterwards and the, the, the mental um, anguish that I, that I dealt with. And you're right. Kevin. There are people who are just like, Hey man, just take a couple shots and you'll be all right. No, no, you're not, I'm not going to find the, the answer to the issues I'm having at the, at the bottle, uh, at the bottom of a bottle, uh, be it uh, prescriptions or, uh, or alcohol, you know, cause there's a lot of prescription drug abuse in our, in our, in our uh, industry. So for me, um, thinking back when I was a new copper and whenever my sergeant said at the front of that roll call room, it was like gold, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was like God was saying it. So I think about that when I was, when I started, t- you know, running my shift as a sergeant thinking like, man, if I can do my part to remove the stigma about, Hey, here at our department, we are so fortunate that we get 10 free sessions, um, a year with uh, a professional psychologist and it's completely paid for by the department. It's anonymous. There's, there's your name's not going to be attached to it at all. Um, and then of course, all of us have uh, health insurance here. So if you need to continue that continue going, you can continue going, but our department really advocates for, Hey, use these services. It's not just for stuff that you're dealing with at work. If you got stuff going on with your kid or in your marriage or whatever the case may be, <laughs> go and use that resource. So for me to, to be able to stand up there and say, Hey, look, I did it and I'm a better man for it. My hope is that that 22 year old officer who's sitting at the front of the room, who maybe is a new father or a new mother, they go out to a baby, not breathing or a, or a drowning call and they pull out a lifeless kid that that can weigh on that officer heavily. And it, for hopefully I just pray that they remember what I said, like, you know what? Lieutenant Corker said I can actually go and talk to somebody about this and it's going to be okay. They're not going to, you know, take my gun and badge away from me because I'm struggling with this. Um, that's my, that's, that's what I try to do. Just every deployment period, I just share that story with an emphasis on at the end of, at the end of the day, I went and I got help, continue to seek help, continue to talk to someone because that's not something that 
just goes away overnight. And we're going on, that was in 07 when that happened. I, and I still go. And luckily my wife, she's an advocate for mental health and anyone that we could talk to about it. Say, Hey man, get yourself some help if you need it, because uh, Jim Beam's not going to help you. I promise Mm you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, the only thing I say on top of that, and then I'll get Tom's take on it. The only thing I say on top of that is yes. If you're not feeling great, absolutely go see it. But it's also good to start building that relationship with a counselor before you're in crisis, before you need it. And that's why, you know, I use the, the swimming metaphor. And if, you know, you're standing on the cool deck, everything's good. It's okay to talk to someone when you're there too. Like if you're not in crisis, that's good because you have that relationship already. So that way, when things do go south and you are drowning under all the, the pressure or whatever's going on, you already may have either skills that you've already built or at least the relationship with someone you trust to talk you through it. That's, that would just be my only take on that as well. Tom, what about you? How do you uh, promote this culture? How is it at the moment? And how do you promote the change of it? I actually, I'm a staunch advocate uh, not to minimize the things that like Kevin was talking about or Lamont. Um, but I think that we can outnumber thousands to one. Um, you know, from the critical instance we experience as cops is fine. I don't, again, I don't minimize any of that. Um, I think that we totally outweigh the significance of the critical incidents and how we debrief and how we worry about that in our resiliency culture compared to the thousands of everyday toxicity within the four walls of the building that caused me more butterflies going to work that I'm going to get stabbed in my back than it is that I'm going to get ambushed by an attacker on the street. And I think that if you want to make an impact on resiliency in our culture, that we still do what we do in an officer involved shooting, a, a heaven forbid, a suicide or, you know, a, an infant death, like, you know, Lamont was saying, I actually use that as an example. We did CPR on a, on a baby. I have four kids of my own. Baby died in our hands. And, and it was nice to see the outpouring of support for the debrief. But what I found ironically comedic, you know, not funny, but ironic that, uh, I was like, but God, you know, half these guys in these room in this room wish blood cancer on one another, you know? So um, where's the resilient, like, that's great that it can- I- I'm like, Kevin's proud. Uh, I've been in therapy for years now. Um, a lot of issues, you know, at, at home and at work and all that good job. And I'm, I'm a proud, uh, I wouldn't call myself a graduate because I, I didn't get a piece <laughs> of paper yet. Um, but uh I just think that we're we're going to be in remiss and in regret if we don't start focusing on the toxicity within the within the four walls because you rebuild somebody's resiliency who might be depressed like that was you know that that was my uh, terminal illness was my depression um, and that's great when you rebuild that and you get the tools to deal with it but then just to go back right into the toxic situation you hang out in a barbershop long enough you get a haircut so. Um, I think until we focus on, you know, and I, and I have a diplomacy program I put together where I call them experts, you know, so you get into involved in a shooting. What do you have? You have experts come in that have been involved in shootings and that's great. They have that street cred about them. I say, what about the experts that have been through a divorce? What about the experts that have been Mm -hmm. through a, a disease? What about the experts that have been through adultery? What about the experts that have been through a, a child who's sick? Uh, we have those experts too, and they may not be your number one cop, but they're experts in their own right. Nonetheless, you don't know what they've been through. And I think that if we were to start to lean on them, that's a diplomacy program I put together where it's like, those are my diplomats that I go to for that. I think you're absolutely right. And I talked about this. I had a, a NYPD sergeant on the show and he said that he's like, 
when are we going to start calling out the negative coping mechanisms that are happening? I think all too often we actually placate and support those things. You know, we all make the jokes and, and maybe I'm guilty of it with the memes as well of adultery, addiction, um, gambling, whatever those negative things may be, or just, or just like you said, just the backstabbing. It's, it's one thing to make the joke, but it is the culture and we need to be better at that because, and that was my kind of follow-up question to all this is how do we, or why isn't the culture changing? Why is so many police officers not comfortable turning to their brother and, or sister and saying, hey, this is what's going on. And I think it comes back to what you said, Tom, about I'm afraid about getting stabbed in the back. I'm afraid about these stories I'm telling this person finding its way through the rumor mill. And before you know it, somehow being uh, turned around. Yeah out it and then i'm unfit for duty that way because of the telephone game not because of what actually is the problem then we kind of hold into hold on to it a little bit too long and then even worse things happen whether it be a true addiction or god forbid like you said a suicide i don't think that like um i don't remember who said it and i apologize but i don't think this is an administrative thing i don't think this is a supervisor thing but what can we do as people who are in these agencies do to change that culture obviously it's a person-on-person thing but lead by example what can we do to alleviate that kind of negative culture and what you're doing right now you have somebody as far west as california you know nevada to as far east as you know you're down in florida we're up here in the northeast i mean the exactly what you're doing this is exactly my point. You know, this is the only way to get people on the same page. I listened to some things that these other guys said tonight that I guarantee you I'm going to put in my pocket because they're great ideas. First time I'm meeting Lamont and I already love the dude. So, um, yeah, that's what you do. That's what you do. So, um, and again, being, I don't have any fear. Um, you know, if I leave something like this and, you know, I have somebody look at me a certain way because I admitted that I go to therapy, like Kevin's saying. I think it's kind of cool to get people in, in key positions to come out and say, yeah, I'm proud of that, you know. Um, and if anybody – so I use myself all the time as a pin cushion. I'm happy to take the first egg that you want to throw. Go ahead, throw it at me. I'm good. That's why I'll get up in front of people and talk because even if somebody hates my guts, I just say, well, okay, but I'm up here. So if one person gets help, then I win. I, I think it, it really also comes down to knowing your people, um, knowing and, and this, you know, the old adage of the open door policy, especially first line supervisors, you're expected to take care of your people. That That's carte blanche. Everybody knows that. That's, you know, leadership development 101. But who's taking care of your frontline guys? Because it's sure as hell, at least up this way, your lieutenants are more worried about protecting themselves so your your supervisor your sergeant's kind of hanging in the wind the lieutenant is obviously looking out for himself and then so what i've seen is to tom's point also is this culture of insulation well guess what at the end of the day we are all our brother's keeper you know we we have this duty to respond if an officer is using too much force that we have to intervene well i challenge every leader listening to this or is here you also have a challenge to help your brother and sister officer. If you see them going through something or they're on a shit call and, and you know that it's going to leave a lasting impression because you're kind of sitting there going, wow, holy shit, that, that's fucked up. Encourage them. One, pull them aside. You never do it in, in, in public, but uh, you do the check-ins. You pull them aside and talk to them. Hey, are you okay? 
if you're not, it's okay. And these are some signs and symptoms to watch for. Getting even just training on CISD, CISM, the, the critical incident stress debriefs. There are agencies that can get you spun up. But when I went through that with 109, it was kind of a light bulb moment of, holy shit, you know, there are side effects of, of critical stress, but also cumulative stress. That's something that as, as a boss, you can talk to and, and say, look, this is a shit call. You know, this was a horrific suicide. And this might be your officer's first time seeing a dead body. They made it through the academy. They're off FTO. Hell, they've been on the road for, for two, three years. But this hits home for some reason. Making sure that they're okay and following up with, hey, there is help out there. I've gone and got help. But also, there, there's this reluctancy to want to go to EAP. At least that's what we have, employee assistance. But there's also you know, resources such as like BetterHelp. You don't even have to, you don't even have to give your name. You don't, you know, you can be anonymous and doing it in your patrol car. There Mm -hmm. are resources out there that can help. And you don't have to do the traditional sitting on the couch. You can do it just like, you know, Zoom or text or Mm -hmm. a phone call. Um, and, And letting the officer know that one, someone cares about them, someone's listening, but also knowing hate that there are resources out there because a lot of times we also kind of turn a blind eye you know that's why i said we're our brother's keeper in good and in bad making sure that if we see them hey they're they're drinking really heavily they're maybe going out with somebody who's not their wife or husband you might have to have an uncomfortable conversation and it's not to be spread about the department it's a are you okay Mm -hmm. and starting there and just having a conversation right and just by that action by opening that door who knows what you can facilitate it could be that last straw that that guy needed to open up and talk to somebody you know and i've always kind of worried about talking to my peers about things because i'm always worried that it's just going to go right through the rumor mill and uh then you realize that no when people actually care you can really read it totally different as long as you like you said do it in private do it in a confident, not a confidential, but in a confidence way. Um, I think you find you're going to, you're going to save lives that way. You're going to, you're going to save lives that way. All right, guys, this was great. As everyone knows, mental health is a big deal for me. So I really wanted to get that conversation out there. So I appreciate you guys. All right. So now we're going to go to the listener questions and then, uh, and, and topics. So here's what we've got. Uh, do you promote to help change things or keep training the new generation and making an impact? So, when you promote, when you uh, kind of go through the ranks, obviously we've got every single thing except for a guy in the biggest chair in the department. Do you kind of keep things the way they're going and kind of teach the new guys how to adapt to that? Or are you gunning to change? I would say it's kind of a little bit of both. Uh, the, the reason is there are certain things that law enforcement were, were charged with doing and there's a culture. However, the, the younger generation that's coming in you know, by all accounts is quote unquote soft, but that's where we can learn things from. Um, especially promoting up the way that I did. I did hard time on patrol. There are other people who promoted much quicker than I ever did. They're still kind of in that stagnant pool of, well, this is how we've always done it. I think if you go in with the idea of I'm going to change what I can change for the better and leave this place a better, a better 
agency because of my promotion, that's my goal. You want to promote for the right reason and, and changing a culture of the span of control that you have. You know, as a sergeant, I'm not going to be able to change the whole department, but I can change the culture of my group. Mm-hmm. I can help facilitate that. And, and that's how I look at it is, you know, I can control and help my guys so that when they come in, they know, hey, you know what, we're, we're moving forward. Even in, in shit moments, we're, we're moving together and, and the culture is one of, you know, hey, we're all working together for the common cause. Um, that's at least, you know, sergeant level, how I look at it. I'm sure lieutenants, you guys and captains have a much more bigger impact on what you guys can do. But just at sergeant level, that's what I've seen. Well, that's a wonderful transition, George. I appreciate that. We're going to go right up to lieutenant. <laughs> LT, what, uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I think my 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 whole goal for wanting to um, uh, promote was just that. So I can try and change the things that I looked at and says, you know what, I think we could probably do things better. But also I wanted to reinforce the things that we are doing correctly because not everything needs to be changed just for the sake of, of changing it. So, um, you know, it, it definitely is not, you know, for the money or self-serving or anything like that, because uh, as a lieutenant at my agency, I'm salary. And uh, as a sergeant, Ooh. I was, uh, yeah, as a sergeant, oh. uh, I was killing it in the overtime. So <laughs> when I made that choice to promote, I knew that it was going to have a, a financial impact. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, most of you guys know my wife. So she's like, is this something you're sure you want to do? And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's all about this sphere of influence. So I do have a really, a, a huge impact on the day-to-day lives of the officers on my shift. You know, I'm, I'm assigned as a patrol watch commander. So the buck stops with me. So there's a lot of things that I can do to influence um, the things that happen to my guys' day-to-day. So I can come in there and be, you know, a toxic influence because we've all worked for those toxic sergeants and lieutenants. Or I can be the guy to, when I come to work, that guys actually look forward to. Oh, Corker's on today. Cool. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it all I can because I know behind the scenes that guy is giving it all he can, and I do. You know, I advocate for these guys, and even when I have to be the quote unquote bad guy, and discipline comes down. 99.9% 99.9% of the time, people are like, you know what? I get it. It's, it's coming from you, so I totally get it. There's, no, there's not some ulterior motive, you know, the, the backstabbing that right. people kind of talked about. If earlier. anything, so, they're going to own what they did. Exactly. And we talked about extreme ownership before, and, uh, I'm, man, I, I, I'm all about that. So, you know, I loved, I loved training. You know, I, I think I kind of get where that question is coming from. I love training. I was, I, I was an FTO for many years, and I, I felt, you know – I was very reluctant to move on because I was so, um, I, I felt like I do, did have a big impact in training the future of our department. What you do, you know, your FTOs out there, you, you have no idea the impact that you have on an officer's career. Uh, as I sit here today, I can't tell you every sergeant I worked for or every lieutenant I worked for, but I can tell you each FTO that I had and what phase I had them in. So that's the impact that they had on, on my life. And I'm sure everyone is, is probably the same here. So as long as you're promoting for the right reasons, uh, you're not looking to be self-serving, then I think that you can really make good things happen in your department or continue a positive. If you work at a department that everything is great, then you can get in a position to where you reinforce those policies and procedures that you guys have in place that have everyone in a, in a place where they're happy. So that's how, that's how I look at it. 
Okay. And what about Tom? What do you, what do you think? Uh, I think that if you want to be part of the problem or part of the solution. So for me, I'd follow the right guy into the gates of hell. But uh, if I feel like I'm not being led that I want to take, you know, the bull by the horns and do it and do it on my own part. And ironically, I I actually contradict myself all the time by leading. I want to empower other people. I want them to be bold. I want them to have the to be fearless to go and put their thumbprint on the on the organization because that's really how you change. It's not for me. It's for them. They're the ones in the trenches actually working. So why not let them actually institute some of these minor changes that make the day to day more effective, more efficient, and more satisfying for themselves? I, I always say, you know, step out and not break rules, but step out. Let's do something outside the box. And, and, and if we can get it done that way, I think that's the type of change that advocates, you know, for a progressive and a, and a better tomorrow that way. It's, uh, it's all about their equity. So that's the way I personally like to do it. I don't think, like I said, I think uh, Lamont said, I don't think it's changing just for the sake of changing. I think that sometimes people feel they need to do that. And I don't, I, I don't, I'm not a believer of that. I think more of, like I said, empowering them to kind of sometimes forcing the hand a little bit to have them put their thumbprint on it. You know, when you own something, when you put your own sweat equity into it, you tend to covet it a little bit more and, and, and protect it. What about you, Kevin? What do you, what do you think about that? So uh, I never wanted to be a leader. I honestly, I, I did it. Um, you know, I, I ended up having a, uh, a chance meeting um, with a guy who became my sheriff and, uh, you know, I just ran into him. He recognized me and, and, uh, we met and we, we had a conversation. Um, and he, he hadn't even announced that he was going to run for sheriff at that point that night after having, you know, a, a few cocktails and just talking with him. Um, he, uh, he saw something in me that I never saw in myself. And, uh, and I'm lucky to have that because when, when he promoted me into, you know, the administrative role and leadership, I was always that guy that talked shit. Um, I always had a better way of doing everything. And he, he put me in the position and, and told me to prove myself and he gave me the freedoms to do it. And so I've kind of passed that along to everybody that has uh, come up under me since then. It's been nothing but good. Are we good all the time? Do we fail? Yeah, sure. But I mean, we're trying. And I also had the uh, unique opportunity to go to the uh, FBI National Academy. And uh, I met a ton of people who, who just exude that, that confidence and that leadership. And um, they're just natural when it comes to being leaders. And uh, I formed some really good alliances with them. And I try to do that with everybody that, that serves under me now. You know, I've, I've always said that when I leave, I don't care if I'm remembered. What, what I care about is, you know, the good things that, that we built along the way stay, you know, and, and that they keep being built off of. I'll be forgotten within five years of my retirement. And, and that's okay. That's okay. All of us are re replaceable. All of us are forgettable. That's cool. But, but can we build something cool and, you know, and, and leave it for, you know, the upcoming people to continue building off of that? Um, I mean, that, that's what it really, you know, matters to me. I agree. I think that's all great. I think that's the biggest thing. And I've always, I always shuddered at the idea of, oh, it doesn't matter. You're going to be uh, forgotten as quickly as you showed up, which is absolutely true. 
but I realized, and, and Kevin said it perfectly is that's fine. You don't have to remember me. You don't have to remember that one big arrest I made. That's fine. But if I have the ability to change or make an impact, you know, if something changes for the positive that I helped contribute to, that's the point that I wanted to be. I, you know, was that uh, the quote from the departed? Like, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me, you know? And if that means for me speaking personally, you know, like a more mentally proactive look on a department or something like that, like that would be a rewarding and kind of a goal for me. So I think that's absolutely spot on. Next question that comes across is tips or advice for supervising a best friend or someone you're friends with. Do you guys have any advice for that? Yeah. (laughs) There's two ways to handle it. You can either do your job as a leader and that includes holding your, your buddy accountable when you have to, or you can cover up for your buddy. Um, I mean, I, I, I've, I've, you know, working in a small agency, um, I think I probably run into this every single day. There's people who, who I supervise or, you know, I lead who I grew up with. And um, once upon a time, we were really good friends and, and we're not anymore because my position um, mandates me be different. I can't be his friend at work. I can be his friend out of work, but at, at work, I, I have to be his leader. I have to, you know, be his, uh, his, I have to treat him the same as everybody else, you know, and, and I can do my best to take care of them, but I can't be his friend. And if I choose to be his friend, I'm doing him and everybody else a huge disservice. It's spot on. I, I, there's nothing more that I have to say that would be any better than that. That's spot on. Okay. Anyone else have anything to add to that? You know, just real quick, I, I learned that lesson. I was always from when I first started promoting into supervisor roles, I was always that guy who had the struggle of, I never wanted to be the bad guy, never. And my, uh, my admin recognized that and they put me in positions uh, for my own growth that made me have to be the <laughs> bad guy sometimes. And one such case happened with a really close friend of mine and man, it weighed on me all week knowing that I'm having to, you know, serve this guy with some discipline and to the point where I'm just, I, I'm like, Dude, man, she's calling sick because this is the last <laughs> day to serve this guy. I mean, it was really struggling. So when, when the time finally came, he came in and we're talking and I, and, and he could see it. And I'm just like, dude, I, I, I'm, I found myself apologizing, which is something that I never should have done in the, in the beginning, but I, I've since learned and grown, but he, he just, he not everyone's the same, but he was the one who helped put this into perspective for me by just saying, dude, stop. If I am going to sit here and be a dick to you or expect you to do anything different than what you're having to do, I was never your friend in the first place. Because you know what? I did what I did. I've taken my lumps and you've got to do what you got to do as my supervisor. So, dude, it's, it's all good. Anyone who gives you anyone who gives you shit, if you're once you're in this position in the future, they never were your friend to begin with. So dude, don't worry about it. And dude, it was like a light switch for me right there. Uh, and from here on, it's kind of like, Hey man, it is what it is. Having been served myself with some like significant discipline, uh, that I've, I've, I've earned. Um, I, I definitely earned. Um, I never was the one to blame, you know, the, the man or the admin, it was a hey, Lamont stepped on it and Lamont's going to pay the piper. So when my buddy told me that, um, when I had had people kind of I don't want to say blow up, but kind of like deflect 
their behavior onto me, it's like, all right, well, obviously you never were my friend to begin with. You're going to treat me like the way you're treating me now. And, and you know, you just kind of let it roll off you. So it's yeah. just, uh, it's just one of those things. Fair enough. And then, so Lamont, so this next question is going to be great for you to tie into what is the best way to approach tough conversations with people? So you said you hated being the bad guy. How, how would you, someone who feels the exact same way, what would you say? You know, again, so for me, I was really, I don't say fortunate, but I'm glad I went through uh, the challenges that I went through because I'm able to sit there and, and, and tell folks whether they're getting served with a write-up or a reprimand or a suspension. I have had and, and served every level of punishment with the exception of termination that uh, one can have. So for me to sit here and tell you, hey, man, I get it. I really get it. I've spent day, we call it days on the beach. I don't know what you guys, I don't know. There's no beaches in Nevada, but we call it days on the beach here in California where you're suspended and you're sitting at home and you're not getting paid. So when I'm have, having to have that tough conversation with someone, you know, I always, someone told me a long time ago, focus on the behavior and not the person. So, Hey man, we are focusing on your failure to blah, 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 blah. And Hey, once you, once you are served with your discipline, that's it. We're moving on. It's in the past. I know not all departments are like that. I know some people work for agencies where if they're on the shit list, quote unquote, because, you know, they got served with some sort of discipline. Uh, now they're that guy. Um, we, um, and, and me specifically, I tried to foster an environment where it looks like, nah, dude, like, all right, yeah, you got to write up for whatever, but that's the end of it, man. I don't think you're a piece of shit or whatever. I mean, it is what it is. We're just focusing on the behavior and, the, the purpose of discipline is change is to change your behavior. So that that's it, man. And I just try to just be as authentic as I can when I'm sitting there serving discipline. Um, you know, I've, I've read all kinds of books that talk about having, you know, difficult conversations. And I, I don't remember. I was watching, it may have been at one of the street cop trainings, but someone just said, just be authentic, man. Just, just, just be straight. Just tell people how it is, be straight up about it and move on. And I've, I've carried that with me from sergeant all the way through where i'm at now just try to be authentic Mm -hmm. does anyone else have any things to put in about having the tough conversation i was just gonna say you know be honest um authentic honest you know same thing um i mean i've had to terminate people and you know and here's the thing once you get to to you know discipline where and and yes lamont we we also call it days on the beach as well Um, (laughs) i thought you guys would say like days on the strip or something in vegas (laughs) but uh but you know i mean here's the thing when it comes to discipline like that i mean there's a build-up you usually get write-ups and you know just you know written you know well before you get time on the beach and I mean, you know, and if, if there is an incident, you know, so great that uh, they get time on the beach Im- immediately, it's not a surprise. Like, like they know it's coming, you know, and, and you just be honest. And, and sorry, my dogs are kind of fighting over here. So. <laughs> I was wondering what that was. <laughs> like, do you have badgers? <laughs> um, I do, actually. Um, I That's, yeah, I, I have a badger on my property. But um but no, I mean, you, you just be honest and, and they know it's coming and just it is what it is. You know, I tell them, look, here it is. Like it sucks. I don't like doing this, but it is what it is. You know, accountability is, is all around. Right. And you would think that being a police officer, you would be accountable anyway, but I think that's just kind of human nature at that point also. But 
as long as you kind of bring that up and like, hey, man, like I, gotta, I have to call you out on your shit. That's just how it is. And then hopefully if it's that uncomfortable for that person, then they'll stop doing it and they won't have that conversation again. That'd be great. Next question. This is kind of uh, goes back to what you guys were talking about, the open door policy. What would be the advice to giving a boots on the ground assessment to your lieutenant, your assistant chief, whatever it might be? So let's say I'm the I'm the young guy. I'm the I'm the guy in the road and I've got a problem with how I'm being led by a superior. What's the best way to go about that conversation? Change groups. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Honestly, it's difficult because I've, I've been asked by a superior officer for an, a quote unquote, honest opinion of his leadership. And when I started to give it, he started getting angry, visibly angry. And it wasn't anything critical. It was just like, Hey, you wanted an honest opinion. I'm trying to give you an honest opinion. There are some people in this world who are in leadership positions who should not be leaders. A good leader, a good supervisor will take what you say in a fact pattern base and say, okay, I I can see your points. Let's talk about this. Tell me more. How can I correct this? If you're saying that this is such a big issue, this is maybe my viewpoint. That's your viewpoint. Okay, we can understand it. But there are, you can meet some resistance, but sometimes you, that's a conversation that, you know, a, a good leader will have no problem having an ego driven leader. Mm, good luck. Good luck. Um, we've all had those bosses. And as I said, it's sometimes it's just uh, this conversation is not going the way that I want it to. And yeah, sometimes discretion is a better part of valor. If you enjoy doing what you're doing without repercussions, but it to at least in my experience a good boss a good superior will be open to that conversation and it will be a conversation very simply mm-hmm. if it's not someone who is open and honest with themselves or open to constructive criticism that's going to be an uphill battle and you got to evaluate is this worth it so okay anyone else I like the idea of, uh, you know, people for if they complain without presenting like a solution and a resolution, then I think they're just whining. So I don't mm-hmm. let people do that without them also presenting to me what their idea would then be on how to resolve the issue that they present. Um, I always say to George's point, if you have somebody who's not a willing recipient of the constructive criticism is to always give an 80 percent plan. Whereas you shift, it's a psychological negotiation that you shift it to the ego and let that person leave that last 20% input, always leaving that door open for 20% that they can then, you know, use as the topping onto your meal. But if you just come to bring up an issue, I'll I'll be perfectly candid with you guys. I cannot stand people that just want to constantly bring up issues. You know, yeah, I I know that gets old. Um, What do you got for me? (laughs) Don't fix it. Yeah, just don't be the constant one. Oh, hey, you know, uh, just give you a heads up or, you know, it really sucks or, you know, it could be better. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your idea? Because I, I always laugh, you know, the line level, the operational level, they they don't want us acting, not to, you know, toot my own horn, but the stupid ivory, ta- you know, the ivory tower thing. They don't want that, but then they that's what they love to do. Well, I pushed it up the chain. Yeah, okay, well, 
pushing an issue up the chain without a resolution, according to you, it's going to come back as then this is my resolution for it then, right? So yep. that's why I always show them how to write correspondence that goes up, down, left, and right. Good point. What is the best way to be a leader without having stripes or any type of seniority? Well, you don't need either one of those to be a leader. You, you, you just need to, you know, take accountability and, and, and I, I guess not, not be fearful of, of, you know, walking into a leadership role. Um, I mean, you know, everybody needs to be led at times and, and everybody can be a leader at times. Not everybody has done, you know, the same exact thing that, you know, say, say you're on a specific call. Not everybody has done that, but, you know, just because you got to, so for example, you know, my agency, we, we, we handle coroner duties for our County. Um, I I have a a three-year deputy who, is just an amazing coroner and her investigations. I mean, she's a, she's a true rock star, but then I have, you know, 18, 19 year people who have always shied away from that. Um, when, when it comes to a scene like that and that they just had one last night, or, you know, fairly nasty, nasty call. Um, and she walked into it and she was, she did her rock star thing and everything was great. But my 18, 19 year guy, who he froze up. I mean, she was the leadership in in that call where he was the the follower. That, that's just kind of the way I see it. Train, educate yourself, and don't be afraid to step into that role. Yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, being uh, being competent and uh, willing to have influence, positive influence on those you work with. Uh, there's a guy on my squad, been around for uh, 20 years. Uh, he's just one of those guys we we. <laughs> We call it, uh, you, know, you just want to be on the calls for status, calls for service task force, uh, which is patrol. And he doesn't want to promote. He doesn't want to go to any special assignment. He's just like, hey, man, I've got things going on in my in my personal life that takes a lot of time. And it's not fair to me. And those obligations are fair to the department for me to try to promote and move it to different areas of the department where I may not be able to commit the way I, I want to. But the three days, 12 hours, 12 and a half hours, days I'm here, oh, you have you have my all. And this guy, he he just, I call him uh, just a, a walking uh, knowledge of, of case law. This guy is the folk, the guy on my squad, when they got a car stopped or something, they can't figure out how to get in the car, they're calling this officer like, hey, man, I just want to give you a rundown on what I got. What do you think? They're not calling me. They're not calling the sergeant. They're calling this, this, this patrolman. And this guy has never led anyone astray. He's competent. He knows what the hell he's talking about. And he is absolutely one of uh, the leaders on on my on my squad. And again, he doesn't have any stripes. He doesn't have any bars. It's just he's he's, he's confident, confident, and he's always willing to influence folks on our on our ship because we do have some newer guys on our squad. And he's always pushing them like, "Hey, man, if you're sitting around waiting for the department to send you to every single training that you need to, you know, excel and be successful, you're you're behind the curve. You have to invest in yourself and go." And it's so good for him as a slick sleeve officer to say that and advocate for that. So it's not just Mr. Stuffy Lieutenant sitting at the front of, uh, of roll call saying, Hey, you guys need to invest in yourself. It's like, no, nah, this is, this is one of the boots on the ground saying, Hey, fool, if you're not doing this, then you're, you're, you're buying the curb straight up. So he, he's absolutely one of our leaders. So that's just an example. And leadership is just nothing more than a transfer of belief. And I always joke with some guys. I say, if you, if you have the ability to stir the shit, then you could be a leader. 
Because think about it, somebody is able to, to transfer their belief onto somebody else and get them stoked and get them all hyped up. They transferred their belief onto somebody else and they shifted the belief of another person. It's just that simple. So if you're capable of doing that, you don't need anything on your collar. You don't need anything on your sleeves to be able to do that. Then just put your energy toward a positive outcome. Again, you know, giving that positive influence and that positive transfer of belief into somebody else, getting them to do something that maybe they didn't see, you know, in themselves before, then you're a leader all the same. Spot you on. Know, Seneca had even talked about that, where it's if you look to your right and you look to your left and you say, hey, I care about these people and, and being competent and, and committed, congratulations, you're now a leader. Uh, if yeah. you have their best interest at heart, you can be a leader and it could be the janitor could have more of an impact than your chief because of whatever that person has. So rank doesn't mean anything unless you're actually there to show up and do things for the right reason, you know? So. Yep. I agree. And our last, well, we've got a couple others, but they're not as, I I think a lot of them, you kind of hit on multiple different things, like the difference between a leader and a boss. I think you guys just kind of tackled that one really good. Uh, This one's a quick question just for Lamont specifically, because it's for a Lieutenant Um, as a Lieutenant, how soon is too soon to ask the recruit for a lap dance? (laughs) <laughs> well you know it all depends I'm <laughs> okay it, it was in it was in the queue i had to get that one in um then we've got a fun one uh what's everyone's favorite gas station snack we have 7-elevens out here and they have these like rolled cheeseburger tostada things whether they've been sitting there for an hour or three days however i don't know they always taste the same and they always taste really good so that that's that's me. Rolled cheeseburger tostada thing. I don't know what's in it, but it is delicious. 7-Eleven. Third shift Taco Bell. There is something <laughs> just absolutely <laughs> incredible about a taco at like 1 a.m. Uh, the other night I was working overtime. Another sergeant was working. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going to Taco Bell. You want anything? Initially, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want anything. Leave the station. Not even two seconds out. Yeah, I'll take this. We sat and ate probably 15 tacos it was it was absolutely incredible it was great (laughs) all right what about mr rizzo well uh i tend to be a little uh i guess obsessed with the pranks and and having the good times where we're not supposed to be maybe so so uh we have the that ten dollar yeah potato chip that chip challenge Mm -hmm. and uh yeah let me tell you Let me tell you, that is something that, I mean, there's tears that come down my face every time one one of the boys do it. And I sit there front row and I watch it and it's totally inappropriate that we shouldn't be doing it. I know that. But my God, (laughs) you talk about the camaraderie and the banter that we have over that. I mean, you should know because the thing comes in a coffin and you get it from, you know. And you get it from the 7-Eleven. We got them out here, too. And it's, uh, yeah, man, I'm surprised you don't have to sign a waiver to buy one of these things. But I would say, I would say I give you credit for the Taco Bell. And then, you know, Lamont, if I, if, maybe that's the secret. If I could look like Lamont after drinking soda and rolled up like cheeseburger <laughs> thing. You know? Yeah, if I had his metabolism, I'd be pretty happy, too. Uh, I, I, hate guys, I hate guys like him. I got to be honest with you, bro. I'm almost right. glad that I met you at this point. <laughs> I know I got some health nuts at our department, man. And they're always meal planning and this and that. And they yeah. see me eat and they're just like, dude, I hate you. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, bro. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, and Kevin, what's your uh, what's your gas station snack? Uh, I was always uh, sunflower seeds, jerky, or popcorn. Um, okay, okay, that's pretty much it. Nice, just kind of easy to go and kind of keep you sustained. Uh, yeah, sunflower seeds. I think they they get like a they're underrated because uh, they're always good. You know, you just pop them in. I don't dip. I don't do any of that stuff. But it has the kind of the same idea. It just kind of keeps you going, especially third shift. All right, guys. The last question I got for you tonight. And again, thank you guys so much for your time. What is the best piece of advice that you have right now for young officers? I, I just go back to what I said uh, at the beginning about just just don't forget that guy or girl from the interview. Um, I think it, it, that works. That that really truly works for me because we all have those days, uh, sometimes those months where it's just you you start to question like, dude, is this even worth it? Like what I'm doing, um, especially now. But when I think back to Lamont from 2000, late 2002 or early 2003, when I was going and interviewing at all these different places, and I was one of those guys who didn't get hired at the first place I applied at. So I just remember the, the overwhelming feeling of joy that I got when I got my conditional job offer. Like that moment for me was one of the, just the greatest moments of my life next to, you know, having my kids. So for those young officers, you're going to, you're going to have those days that are going to come that you're like, dude, screw this. This isn't worth it. No one cares about me. Whatever the case may be. I just, I, I've been told, uh, remember that guy from the interview and that's what's worked for me. I just try to think about that 21 year old kid, Lamont Corker, when he was brand new, trying to get hired, sitting in that interview room across from three stars and telling them, Hey, this is why I want to be a cop. So, so uh, uh, oh, go ahead, George. I, I was just going to say, you know, obviously the, the reason why someone goes into this career field is to help people and going into it with the idea that we're going to change the world is grandiose. And sometimes that we're just, we're not going to hit that mark, but you can leave an impact and you can help someone and, and, and literally change someone's whole world with just your interaction. You can be the help that someone has, has been calling out for. Um, don't give up on that. You can help people in this job. It is still a phenomenal career. There is, there is, it is an honorable career and you can make an impact on so many lives and, and don't lose, lose faith in that. And Kevin. Uh, absolutely. And just to add to that, um, you know, don't let this job define you. Um, just because we, we go to work and we, we have to take this job serious and we have to do very serious things. Um, don't let it overtake everything that, that, that you are, um, you know, maintain friends outside of this job, maintain, you know, contacts, you know, do things that, that make you focus on things other than this job, because it will consume you if you let it. And, um, and it will lead to, to those negative coping mechanisms. If that's all you think about is this job. Okay. And Tom. So to piggyback, I had a feeling Kevin would say something like that. Uh, I think it's crucial to build a foundation uh, for your structure so that the structure still remains intact. Once the career is done, Um, the relationships outside of work is what does not have an expiration and doesn't have a retirement plan. So I think that if we were to focus on um, every bit of getting as good as we can, being good at this should make us better at that. 
And I think if you do it the right way, that's exactly what will happen. You take pride in your job and you want to be good at your job, but it actually makes you better at what you are outside of the job. So I think keeping that in, in proper context would serve people well. And I think more and more of us that are able to candidly tell our stories and try to impact other people by openly admitting the times that we've tripped and fall and, and scraped our knees maybe and, and impacted others. The job itself com- comes with a price tag of selfishness. And what I mean by that is our spouses and our loved ones and our close circles that were with us before um, didn't sign up to come along with us for some of these things. That's a selfish part of what the job entails. So I think keeping that in cognizance and keeping that, you know, as reflecting on that is very crucial. I really do. Yep. And just for everybody to piggyback on that, this book was given to me by one Mr. Kevin Malone, uh, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. Everyone needs to pick that up. If you're new, if you've been on the job for a while, it kind of encompasses everything that these guys have just said. Um, it's an amazing resource. And again, Kevin, thank you for giving me that many, many moons ago, the beginning of our friendship. Absolutely. All right, guys, this has been an absolutely amazing treat. Um, Lamont's got his copy right there. Um, absolutely amazing guys. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your Sunday. I know there's probably better things you could have been doing, but I'm glad you spent a couple of hours with me. Um, we're going to sign off now. I'm going to go around and thank you guys. And if you have any final words, feel free to share them. We're going to go in reverse order this time. So we're going to start with Mr. Lamont Lamont. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having us. Um, this is a really good, uh, conversation with people from all different walks of life. So I appreciate you for bringing us all together. I know it was hard, uh, <laughs> juggling our different schedules and changing on your last minute. So uh, I apologize for that because again, I was one of the ones who bailed out on the first episode, but I was glad I was able to join. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. You brought a lot to the table as well. Kevin, you're up. Hey, uh, again, I just want to say thanks for, for including me on this. Um, you know, a lot of people don't don't understand that admin mentality. So um, it, it's good to get out here and share it and, and show that uh, we're not the enemy. Um, we, we, we love you guys. Uh, we love everybody below us. So, um, hey, keep your guys' head up. Uh, be safe. Wear your vest and uh, take care of each other. Excellent. Tom? Well, I want to say thank you. Like everybody else said, I really appreciate it. I always appreciate it even being thought of and even being considered uh, the relationships that we build. And uh, I consider it, like I said, a blessing to me and the pleasure is completely mine to be a part of it. Uh, I, I always say, you know, always focus on being the best version of yourself because you deserve that. It's just that simple. Just believing that you deserve it and then living that like you deserve it will change the game. So thank you again. Absolutely. And last but certainly not least, we have George up in Connecticut. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. It is truly a pleasure to be working and, and talking with literally leaders of, of this caliber. Um, to all those who are looking to go into leadership or already in leadership, we've all worked for bad bosses and we've all worked for great bosses. Take the bits and pieces from the great bosses that you've worked with and implement them. Don't don't use the negative as as your your sounding board or that that's your your go-to mentality and and when you adopt the good leadership you're going to change the culture of your your department and uh with that thank you guys so much again 
Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode two of the Leadership Council. And yes, it was a bitch and a half to get everyone's schedules to line up, but it was absolutely worth it. Uh, again, I thank you guys so much for taking the time. Everybody, if you have questions, reach out to us. I've tagged everybody in these posts and I will provide their information if uh, they want and if you want it and a little bit of everything from everybody. So thanks again for listening. All right, guys. So this is like the bonus. This is like overtime right now because we concluded the the main portion of the episode. But due to scheduling conflicts, my guest right now that you're about to hear from, she was not able to be in the the main kind of uh, group setting. So she gets kind of special treatment because I wanted to get her take on it. The one big takeaway that I got from the first leadership episode was that there wasn't a female leadership perspective, which was really just because I didn't have anybody that I could lean on. Luckily, in the meantime, I met Michelle and here we are. So ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome my, I think this would be sixth guest of this episode. Michelle, how are you doing? Hi, I am doing very well and I am so pleased that I am able to do this for you. Yes, me too as well. Um, So before we get into talking leadership stuff, why don't you go ahead and kind of give us an idea of who you are, where you're from, and um, we'll go over there. Okay, my name is Michelle DiCapua. I work in Florida. I have been a police officer now for 17 years. Um, I worked patrol for about six years. I worked in special investigations doing narcs, um, vice type uh, detective style work. Did that for five years, I loved it. Uh, And then I got promoted to sergeant and I did that for five years and I got promoted to lieutenant. just recently came out of emergency operations and uh i am working patrol right now okay all right very good what is emergency operations emergency operations would be your uh communication center so it was your dispatch center so it was very different for me because i had worked in law enforcement for 15 years at the time and then i never worked in dispatch i never was a telecommunicator so i went inside for almost two years learned a lot in there and then just recently got transferred to patrol Okay. So I wonder then, cause I'm, I'm kind of in a similar boat where I went from the road and now I'm a dispatcher having never touched dispatch before, just, uh, my girlfriend's a dispatcher. So I have it from there. Now that you're back on the road, have you see, do you see things from different eyes? Like I know that when I went from the road to the room, I see things with different eyes. So now that you've gone from the road to the room to back to the road. Do you see things differently? I do. I see things from different perspectives. So when the road is let, says something kind of along lines of, why is dispatch not getting this quickly to me? Or, or why is this taking so long? Well, I've seen the other side where they're working different calls and you've got to just be patient. So I've seen dispatch side, telecommunicator side. I've seen the road side. And then trying to help mediate somewhere in between saying, you know, hey, give them a second. They probably have something else going on. Or this is why it takes a little bit longer. They have to contact another agency. So you have to be patient and vice versa. So I, I've seen it both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And that was kind of, you know, where, where I work now, it's a very small communication center where I came from was a much larger one. So, but either way, uh, it was, it's crazy when I made that switch, kind of seeing what happens behind the scenes. I just, you know, and the, the analogy I say to my coworkers now is like when I was on the road and I would say, hey, I need a helicopter. I need this. I need that. I just figured there was a magic button and then boom, the helicopter shows up. I didn't know <laughs> that there's like, you know, you got to call the hangar. You got to do that. You know what I mean? And it's to see how crazy the room can get. But when you're on the streets and, you know, the streets obviously gets crazy, too. But, you know, dispatch just keys back up in a calm voice. 
like nothing ever happened. Little did they know that there's about 15 different fires going on at once in that room. And it, it's very remarkable. And you're exactly right. And a lot of times too, it's not just the dispatcher that's taking their time. Sometimes you're, when you request something, they have to make a phone call. They're waiting on another agency. They're waiting on somebody to, to provide them the information. So it's not just them. It's, they have to wait for the answer as well. So um, like, you know, in teletype, if you're running a tag or if you need to find out the owner or something like that, sometimes they need to contact another agency to find out what's going on and they're waiting for their answer. So it's not, you, you don't see that on the road. You're just like, why is this taking so long? But they yeah. work very hard up there. Um, I worked there almost two years. Um, we have a larger agency. So when we're fully staffed, we have 100, 118 in uh, communications. The room gets very busy when something goes on. If somebody's in a foot chase or somebody's in a pursuit, the room gets very busy and they get answers, you know, a lot of times so promptly, which I'm always amazed at when they, when somebody says, I need this or I need that. Or, or what did he just say? They're so quick. So I was very impressed when I went up there and I learned a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it it's crazy and it's great. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad I've got this experience. I didn't really like the, the way I came to it, but that's perfectly fine. Um, dispatch is, is just a completely different beast. Definitely takes different people to do so. So um, we'll, we'll probably have to touch that at a later time because today we're talking leadership. Now, you said, you know, when you were giving your little introduction, you started on the road, you worked investigations, you did the narcotics jump out stuff, and then you got promoted. So in the in the 17 years that you've worked in an agency and you worked in this profession, uh, obviously lots of things have changed. Um, what would you say some of the key or biggest things have changed throughout your career? So what I have noticed is when I first got hired, you didn't really have a lot of interaction with your supervisors. Um, back then, my supervisors were all older males that we didn't have phones. We didn't have agency phones. You didn't really hear from your supervisor. You didn't hear from your sergeant. You only heard from them if something was wrong um, or if you really needed a question. Uh, but back then, it was kind of like you don't bother your sergeant. You, you know, ask a senior deputy, ask a field training officer, but you don't bother your sergeant and you really didn't see your sergeant or lieutenant, you know, going back 17 years. As times have kind of changed, I've noticed that leadership has actually gotten younger. So there's a lot more sergeants that are getting promoted at a younger age, a lot more lieutenants that are getting promoted at a younger age, and they're more active. So when I was a sergeant, we would go to calls. We would still stop cars. We would go to calls. Um, we had agency phones, so it was, we were a lot more accessible when somebody needed to call us. And I've noticed that big change with leadership is they're younger and more accessible. When I was in the academy, my first instructor, you know, he was retired, but we still called him Sarge. And he was the quintessential sergeant, right? He was, he had a, he had a big belly. Uh, he had the mustache. He had, you know, kind of the widow's peak with the great, like the salt and pepper hair. And he was just gruff. You know, he just had that smoker's gravelly voice. Just everyone, I hope as I'm describing this can know who I'm talking about. And that was like, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> right. And that's like the quintessential sergeant, right? Like, don't call him. He's going to bitch at you the moment you call him. Like, Basically, the city or the county or whatever your jurisdiction is, it better be on fire when you call him. Now, it's something totally different. I see, you know, some of the buddies, some of my buddies that I was hired with, uh, actually, come to think of it, 
one of the guy, the guy that was my class leader in the academy, he is a sergeant at his agency, which is crazy, thinking that we're about the same age, maybe plus or minus like a year or two, but he's a sergeant now, and that's just crazy. Now he had military experience and whatever, so obviously, you know, he's he's squared away. I'm not saying he's not, but that's not my mental image of a sergeant. You know, we always think of just the the gruff older leader, uh, not even leader, just you know the guy that you don't talk to. Now, when you get these younger people, I feel like, and and this is kind of my next question is, I feel like they're much more inclined to help, you know, they, because they, they're not too much, too far removed from the experiences on the road. Have you seen that? Like the younger guys are more willing to help and be involved? Absolutely. And I agree that they're used to being on patrol. And I think the way that times have just kind of changed with like, we all have the agency phones now, so we can call a supervisor. Whereas before we didn't have agency phones. So you would, if you had a question, you would get with your zone deputy, you know? So now it's just, I feel like the next generation and the younger people, myself included, we still like to be active. I don't want to sit and just hide under a tree. I still want to be active. I don't want my squad to feel like they can't call me because I'm going to be angry with them or my sergeants to call me because they feel like I'm going to, you know, say, you should know this and don't bother me. I want them to call me. I want to be able to help them. And I want them to know that they can come to me if they need something. So I think that change has really helped law enforcement because I believe that you should lead by example. And I still believe that even as a sergeant and lieutenant, a little bit more removed as a lieutenant, but you can still be active and you can still go on a call with your deputies to meet them and, you know, just to say hi and then take off without, you know, meddling or, or, or making, you know, people feel like you're watching them. Right. Right. And I feel like that there's a very fine line with that. I think, and a lot of guys here, here's the, here's the crazy part is that running my meme page and running this podcast, I get a lot of, you know, on the front lines, officers messaging me and commenting and talking to me and saying like my supervision doesn't get it they don't help us out we're getting killed blah 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 so then my question to them and then my question to you is like there's a line there's a line between a sergeant or a lieutenant helping out and then there's you know kind of the line of like do officers or or deputies abuse that and then you know where do you make that line like how do you feel as far as a supervisor helping out when things are going to shit and, you know, things are going crazy versus letting your deputies or your officers figure it out for themselves? How, where's that line? I guess it would depend on the situation. Um, so, for example, I can recall back to a time as a sergeant, it was Christmas and we were hammered. We were getting so many calls. We were short. Um, and we, there, the amount of calls that were coming out, that's a situation where I'll help out. I went and took paperwork calls. I cleared them and completed them, but am I going to help out where somebody needs to learn? Like, am I going to go to a call with a deputy and do it all myself and they didn't learn from it? No. So I guess the situation depends on it. If, if the city is burning because you're short staffed or a shooting came out and half your, half of your team is working a shooting and now the other half are getting, you know, inundated with calls. Yeah. Help out and take some calls, but people need to learn. So different type of call, if that makes sense. So if, if it's a learning situation, then no, I'll go there and I'll help them. Yeah. And I'll, I'll inform and I'll tell them how to work the call, but I'm not going to do it for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I, I can definitely see that. I feel like, and the reason I like doing these episodes is because it kind of breaks that disconnect because I think a lot of officers don't 
understand exactly what the mindset is of the supervision. And and one of the big things is like, hey, I want to see that you can do it for yourself. Like, you know, you can't have training wheels on your entire career. It's just not going to work. And I've seen really this um, trend going on in law enforcement where the younger cops, they're so used to having training wheels on for every call, whether it's because of micromanaging supervision or just because, you know, you just the supervision, not even micromanaging, just kind of guiding them through where you remove that supervisor, that one that was helping them out, and they're totally floundering. Have you seen that? Not so much. Um, you know, I hate to say that we have great deputies. I'm sure that it occurs, but there does need to be a point where, you know, like, so I'm a lieutenant. So if my sergeants kept calling me, if it, if it was the same sergeant calling about things that he or she should already know, then there comes a point where you're going, okay, this is something basic that, that they should know, or I answered the same type of question last week. Why aren't they grasping it? But if they just want to reach out and ask a question, they're on a, on a crazy call and it's something that you don't typically deal with. Yeah. By all means, we'll, we'll come up with the the answer and we'll brainstorm or I'll tell them the answer or I'll ask them, how do you think you should handle this? Okay. What statutes do you think you're going to use? What are some other scenarios that we can go go over? But if it's the same sergeant calling about basic stuff, then that's when you might want to reevaluate if they need to, you know, get some type of training or like a performance improvement plan is something that we have the same with the deputy. If, If a deputy is not grasping it, then we need to reevaluate how to properly train that deputy. When I was going through field training, I had I had a trainer that basically said to me, uh, if you keep calling your sergeant and asking them, you know, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Eventually they're going to go, well, what are we paying you for? If I'm the one making all the decisions, what, what do I have to pay you for, basically? And that kind of instilled in my mind, like, all right, if I'm going to call Sarge or, you know, uh, my agency didn't have corporals, but if I went that way or whatever, you know, I better have an answer. You know, I better have an idea of what to do because otherwise, what are they paying you for? So that's a great thing that I would always ask. So if somebody calls me and says, hey, I've got this, I've got this call going on. I would usually say, how do you think you should handle this? And I expect that person to say, well, you know, A, B, and C, or I read the Florida State statute book. This is the statute that pertains to it. Or hey, I got with one of my, um, you know, FTOs or I called somebody in uh, criminal investigations and they said this is a good route. Like I expect them to go a little bit and find a little bit of the answer and not just call me and expect me to to spoon feed them. Right. Absolutely. I I think that's the the most important lesson to take. So the other big question that kind of has been going through with Everything that's been going on the past couple of years with all the protests and the defunding and everything, you know, cops start questioning, why am I doing this? Why am I sticking it up, you know, sticking with it? And morale kind of universally has been very low. How has things been in your agency? Have it Has it been kind of on the lower side or are things okay? Things in my agency, I mean, we did have some, some minor protests. Uh, we're in the, I'm in the great state of Florida. Um, if anybody's been paying attention to the news, um, we've done pretty well with the protests down here in Florida, just based on, um, I mean, the governor has helped and, um, the communities down here. So the agency that I work for, we have a great community. We still had protests. Um, we handled them properly. We, um, you know, let them protest. We made sure that we were all on the same page about 
what we we were going to arrest for and what we were going to allow and what we weren't going to, you know, for the time being. And um, just being in Florida makes a big a big difference. Uh, mm -hmm. We are getting a lot of people coming from out of state, coming down to Florida, which is great. Um, we'll always welcome um, police officers. Uh, I feel bad watching the news and knowing what's going on in some of the other states, but we didn't have it. We didn't have it like, like California and New York and uh, some of those other states did. You got to know too, like Florida has a Florida has a lot of older residents here, and older residents like the police. They like security. Um, they're usually a little bit old-fashioned and old traditional in their thinking. So um, that I think plays a part in uh, Florida's role down here as well. Yeah, I definitely can see that. And as you're saying it, I'm thinking about everybody that was on earlier in the episode, and they all came from those states that were having issues and continue to have issues with their politicians, with their legal system. So this is, this is actually a very a different take as opposed to all those other kind of dicier, not dicier, but kind of more difficult areas to police in. So when, when, you're, when your deputies or your officers or your sergeants are starting to feel burnt out, when they're starting to get low, what do you do? What can you do? What would you suggest other leaders do to kind of combat that? So time off if the agency can allow it. Um, I know a lot of agencies right now are short staffed, which causes people to work harder. And then, you know, it, it also causes to them leading to fatigue and getting burned out. Um, one of the things that I always try to do is meet with people and see where they want to go in the agency and see how they want to personally grow within the agency. So I'll meet with somebody and say, hey, you've been on patrol for four or five years. Where do you want to go? Well, I really want to get into traffic. Okay, well, how can we get you there? Let's get that person motivated to get into the unit that they want to be in. Um, so if they're getting burnt out on patrol, where I'd like to find out where do you want to go and how can we get you there? Okay, so you want to be in traffic. Well, you haven't been writing a lot of citations. You haven't been making a lot of DUI arrests. How are you going to get into traffic when you're not showing that you're proactive? Well, let's get you in, into radar school. Let's get you into another DUI school so you feel more comfortable about that. Let's get you riding along with some of the traffic unit and let's get you prepared and then let's get your memo in and get you into traffic. So it's something different. And then it motivates them like, Oh, okay, cool. I'll get into the traffic unit or I want to get into narcotics. Okay. Well, you don't make a lot of drug arrests. Well, maybe that's because, you know, they're uncomfortable making drug arrests. They don't know a lot about it. And they, maybe they don't work in an area where there's a lot of drug movement. Okay. Let's move you to a zone where you can get some drug arrests. Let's get you in some schools and let's get you to the narcotic unit so that you know, it's something different so that you're motivated and you want to stay with the agency and you're excited to come to work. That's mm -hmm. one of the biggest things that I do is I always try to see where people want to go. Sometimes it's just, you know, I want to get promoted to sergeant, but I struggle with the tests. Okay, well, let's spend a couple hours and go over some of the things that you're struggling with, whether it be statutes or intelligence-led policing or, you know, leadership questions. Let's sit down and go over that so that we can get you promoted so that you're not just a deputy anymore. Like I always want people to grow and get where they want to be and see them happy. Yeah. I think that's so important. I think, you know, if, and I, and I say this kind of with a disclaimer that I know there's a lot of smaller agencies out here, out there that do not have specialized units or a lot of specialized units. So movement may be difficult. Um, but the chance of leaving the road or going to do something even, and I, I, I'll tell, I'm speaking from experience, even just getting a week off to go take a course on a different topic 
it may be just enough to kind of spark your mojo. And, and when you hit the road the following week, be like, all right, got a new like look on life, you know, and I can, I can go out and work. So I think what you're saying is absolutely true. I think just that fresh look or that, that fresh, you know, give someone something exciting to work towards, you know, and I think that's so important because it's so easy. You know, if you're just taking the same heady shoplifting calls, the same barking dog calls, like eventually you, you stop enjoying coming to work and, and dealing with that. Well, so for smaller agencies, if you don't have a lot of units, so um, I think uh, we have a thousand and seventeen at my agency um, around, I want to say maybe around 400, 450 sworn between us and the jail. Um, I walk, I work for a sheriff's office. So we do have a lot of units. We actually, being the sheriff's office, we have units that the city departments don't have. Um, so we, it, I was lucky in that, that we do have, a, you know, a vast uh, variety of units that people can get into. So for smaller agencies, I would see still what it is that interests them. So maybe they don't have that unit, but maybe switching them up with a different sector or zone. Like, hey, if you're if you're so used to being in your own area and your zone, you've dealt with the same people and the same type of calls. Why don't we move you at least to a different area? Like this area is a little bit more busy or this area incorporates the mall. So you're going to get different types of calls than being out on the beach where everybody is drunk and getting in fights at the beach. Well, let's move you to the mall where people are stealing and people are getting road rage. So there's if there's not a lot of movement for units, you can at least maybe try to switch up where they're working so they just handle different type of calls. And they also would be around mm. different deputies. So maybe they would make make new friends, um, get to go to a different place for dinner at night, like just a little bit of um, difference when they come to work. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on. I think that's great. I've, I've been talking to this one guy, uh, started messaging me before he was in the police academy, messaged me through the academy, through one agency where it didn't work out to the new agency that he's in now. And he was he was kind of bummed when he first got to his new agency because it was much smaller than he wanted. He was kind of there were no specialized units. It's just patrol. And that's it. Maybe a task force if you're like super lucky. But for the most part, you're just you're the lone cop in that beat. Like that's how it was. And I told him, look at it differently. And he did. And now he's making a bunch of dope arrests because that's what he wanted to do. He worked, wanted to work narcotics. And he's like, oh, I'm never going to be the dope cop because there's no dope unit. And sure enough, he changed his mindset. And here we are. And, and he's killing it. He sends me pictures of different stops he makes all the time. And that it's just that simple. If you have some leadership and a lot of it goes back to like that self, um, you know, self-initiation, like go do it yourself. But if you have a supervisor, which is the point of the episode to kind of guide you in that way, if you can see that your officer is just not jiving anymore, do something to spice it up. And I, I, I really liked your, your take on that. So I guess I should probably start it with this. What was your motivation for promotion? Um, well, I, I really wanted to be a supervisor because I came out of narcotics, which still to this day was the best five years of my life. I had so much fun in there. I loved it. Um, so to get promoted, you really had to think about if that was something that you wanted to do, because in my agency at the time, the narc unit was the most coveted unit. Um, you know, 16 people would put in for one spot. Uh, and then people wouldn't leave because it was so much fun being in there. So I really had to weigh the pros and cons and decide, do I want to get promoted or not? Because I'm, you know, you're going back to a uniform, you're going back to patrol, you're going back to night shift from 
you know, having a pierced nose and purple hair and wearing whatever you want to go do deals and, and work all types of calls, not just narcotics. I did all types of calls, which is a whole nother day. But, um, I really wanted to lead by example. I really wanted to be a role model for some of the other women in the agency and the opportunity was there to promote. Um, and I, I just seized the moment and said, I'm, I'm going to do this besides, being a leader within the agency, I also teach defensive tactics at the police academy, and I now teach mental health first aid with, within the agency. So I teach some other things, and I know that I like the role of being an instructor. And at the time, I liked getting in the academy, and I liked helping people out with defensive tactics. I'm a huge proponent of fitness. Um, so mm-hmm. I like teaching. I like helping people. I like leading by example. And I wanted to be a good female role model for other women within the agency. And I figured that with my integrity and my mindset that I would be a good supervisor. And that's why I wanted to get promoted. So what would you say is the difference between a leader and a supervisor or a manager? What would... Because... I think that's like a very fine line, but I also think it's a very important mindset difference between different types of supervisors and kind of their, their philosophy. So what would you say the difference is? Um, I think there's a couple different differences. So managers, I think are more focused on the outcome, getting numbers and getting the results. They, you know, if, if there's an issue, like these people are complaining about traffic in this area, they want to know that people are going to get out there they're going to write tickets and the issue is going to be completed at hand. I think a leader is more like somebody that wants to watch the personal growth of their team, um, wants to lead them and show them by example, like in that example, like, Hey, I'm going to go out there with you and write some traffic, traffic citations so that we can alleviate this problem. And I think it's more focused on the growth and the, um, their team's, feelings than the outcome. And another way that I always try to explain the the difference between a leader and a manager um, for me is kind of like if anybody's watched Game of Thrones, which I'm sure a lot of people have, to me, a leader is the one that's on the battlefield giving the the inspirational speech right before you're going to go into battle. They're down there, they're swinging swords, and they're with their team. The manager is the king that's sitting on the hill. And he's watching and observing from a, you know, afar, but not involved in the actual battle itself. So that, to me, is the difference between a leader and a manager. I agree. Now, I think we both can agree that there are sergeants who are line-level supervision that assume the role of the king, right? Like, they, they just don't get yeah. dirty with it maybe different situations, but I think a lot of people are going to have a hard time relating to that supervisor. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think that of course there's people like you and the people that I interviewed earlier that said, you know, they're the, they're the, the sergeant in the battlefield. Right. But I think there's also plenty of examples of people, Lieutenant captain and above that are on the battlefield that are willing to, hump calls if needed, check on their guys. Like actually, and I guess that's kind of where I'm going with it is that, so as a, as a, as a Lieutenant now you can't, I mean, it's, it's much less frequent, I'm sure for you to like go out and hump calls and, and do all that, but you can still kind of 
take care of your people without being just the king on the hill, right? Absolutely. You can still be part of the team without humping calls. So supervisors, you are going to grow a little bit separated the higher the rank that you climb. Um, that's just going to happen. So at the supervisor level, I don't really expect a supervisor to be a king, maybe in certain situations, but supervisors should still be able to be relatable to their team. I was still taking paperwork calls as a supervisor, only like, you know, only on certain examples, like the Christmas day, like, I'm not going to sit there and go, well, I'm a sergeant. I don't take paperwork calls. No, we're, there's no reason why I can't go take a paperwork call and be done with it. You know, something simple like a, a family disturbance, not, not an arrest, because obviously I have to supervise, but something simple to help out when we're getting that many calls. Um, so supervisors should be relatable to their deputies. And I'm not saying take calls all the time, but you got to lead by example at the sergeant level. For me at the lieutenant level, you take a step back. I don't supervise deputies. I supervise sergeants now. And sergeants should know how to perform. I don't need to be on the battlefield with them. They should know how to perform. However, if there's that certain type of situation, like an officer involved shooting or, you know, something we've had plane crashes where I work, something that's a little bit out of the ordinary, I'm going to go, I'm going to go there and I'm going to help out. Um, I don't ever want somebody to go, wow, where was the lieutenant when this happened? Like, you know, this is chaotic. Where's the lieutenant? Does she not care? Because that's something that you're going to hear from your patrol deputies or your patrol officers. Where was the lieutenant? Oh, well, her GPS shows that she was sitting over here. So she's sitting under a tree while this is going on and she doesn't come over and help out or check up on us. So yeah. it's, it's, you got to look at the situation. And for me, I would much rather go say, hi, how is everybody doing? Anybody have questions? Cool. I'm going to go and bounce, make an appearance, then have people say that she doesn't care or she's not paying attention or, you know, she's too good to, to come say hi. Like I would, I would not want people to say that. So you got to kind of look at the situation and decide, is this something that I can go um, help out on or even if I'm five minutes from a call, you can still swing by and just say hi to your deputies. Hey, you guys need anything? Okay, cool. Uh, and, and drive off. Yeah. Like, and I think another thing with the culture is very important. And this, this comes from day one. The moment you, you put on the bars and, you know, t assume that position is breeding the culture like, hey, when I show up and I say, hey, do you need anything? If you need something, it's okay to tell me, hey, would you mind doing this? And be, you know... It, I, like you said, you're not going to take something that's going to tie you up for too long because you do have your own job to do. But, you know, I, uh, Kevin Malone was on earlier and in a previous episode, he told me that, you know, there was once a really bad traffic crash and he showed up and he's a he's the number two where he works. And he said, hey, what do you guys need me to do? I can man this post. And because of the culture that he, you know, kind of facilitated in his agency, everyone kind of hemmed and hawed. They didn't want number two you know, standing and getting his, uh, his boots dirty, but he was literally willing to help out. And I feel like so many times when a supervisor comes on scene, especially someone from Lieutenant and up automatically is like, nah, boss, we got it. You're good. Don't whatever. But I think it's important to know as a guy on the street or as a, as a girl on the street that, you know, when, when the boss shows up and they say, Hey, do you need anything? You can literally say, Hey, would you mind helping me out here? And it's not a negative mark on you, as long as it's, like you said, not something that you need to be babied through. If it's literally, hey, you need assistance, that's okay. Yeah, and if it's if it's not something where they need something, like if, if you were five minutes away from a call or if you were around the corner and it came out and your deputies went there, 
you can still just drive by and say, hi, you know, how's your night going? You know, and just talk to them for a few minutes so that they find you relatable so that they're like, Mm -hmm. wow, that was cool that the lieutenant came by and said hi, rather than, you know, I never see the lieutenant. They know nothing Mm -hmm. about me. They have no idea what's going on with my family. You know, it's nice. It's nice to know that that your supervision cares about you as a person. So even just saying like, you know, hey, how's the family doing? How's your wife? You know, or how's your son? How was your son's baseball game? It really shows them that you know who they are and you care about them as a person, not just, you know, a deputy completing calls. Right. Yeah. No, that goes wonders. You know, having someone not, you know, it, you know, that's sitting next to you in the briefing, but actually someone of higher importance um, showing a, a vested interest. That's that's does wonders to morale and mindset like, hey, I'm not just a number to this guy or girl. I'm actually a person and that's great. And I feel like that's so important. And I feel like a lot of people forget that. I feel like it's so easy to forget how easy just being a a personable human being, it it does wonders. That was really important to me. So that was something that I tried to instill. So when I was a deputy, if if a Lieutenant was like, Hey, Michelle, you know, how's your mom doing? That meant a lot to me because I'd be like, wow, he knows who I am like that that was very impressive to me. And I, I always was like, that was, that was really nice for them to ask, you know, whatever the question would be. So I try to remember that as well. And, and plus for me, like I came out of EOC and I worked the opposite rotation when I was a a sergeant. So there's a lot of new people at the agency and being on the opposite rotation, there's a lot of deputies that I don't know. Um, I have four sergeants, I have four sectors and then they have their own squad. So there's some people that I just don't know. So I don't want them to feel like the lieutenant doesn't even know my name. And I told the sergeants when I, when I got promoted, Hey, I'm going to be making traffic stops. I'm going to be stopping with the deputies. There's a lot of people I don't know. So if I see a deputy or hear on the radio, a deputy do a traffic stop that I don't know, I'll go out with that deputy and say, Hey, introduce myself, you know, tell me about a little bit about you. Okay, cool. And I want them to know that I care enough to find out a little bit about them because we work together period. Not, not just a supervisor relationship, but we work together and I want to know a little bit about you. And I, you know, I care about you and I want you, I want you to be happy and I want to talk to you. And I'll even say, you know, where do you want to be in the agency? You know, where do you want to see yourself going? And, and I'll have that type of, you know, communication with that deputy. Yeah, it, it does absolute wonders at my old agency. So there's, there's a couple of different supervisor stories that I always kind of lean back on. There was one supervisor I had to date best supervisor I've ever had. And we would, he would show up on calls and, you know, literally he and I would work domestics together just because one, I think, you know, we were buddies, like we, we were cool. And two, I think he just enjoyed it, you know, and it was great. And then after we cleared the call, we'd sit and we bullshit till the next one rolled around. Great, great supervisor to the point where like, you know, he knew all about my family. He knew about, you know, we, we had shared interests, so we would bullshit and everything. And that was good, you know, and it just very relatable. And as his officer, as his subordinate, when he said, Hey man, would you mind, you know, running this op or doing this or getting with the guys and do this? I was more than happy to bend over backwards and do what he needed because I knew he actually gave a shit about me as a person, you know, and it just made it easier. On the flip side, I had a supervisor who we had a, we had a very big um, special event going on in town and I worked the bar district and I saw that things were getting out of hand. Like it wasn't out of hand yet, but I saw it was going there and I, uh, I radioed her 
And I said, hey, you know, things are getting a little hairy down here. You may want to come down. Uh, the bars are about to let out. It's going to be, it's not going to be good. She said, okay, 10-4. Sure enough, bars let out. Bad things happen. Just fights and fights and crashes and just whatever. Like, we had the whole squad there. We had some super, um, some overtime units there. And we were still getting our asses kicked. When we checked the GPS, she was still at the coffee shop. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I remember having a senior officer look at me and go, hey, where's your sergeant? And I said, oh, I'm like, it's not my call. Like, I'm not her boss. Like, I told her and this is this is what we got. So that's two big differences. Right. And, you know, so when you talk about ha- having a supervisor that's, you know, hiding under the tree or whatever you were saying um, versus, you know, the one that will show up and help you out if you need it. So important. And then, again, it just goes with I had another um senior officer to me didn't even know my name like we had an agency of under 300 people and we were doing qualifications and and this person was in our training unit uh doing firearms calls didn't know my name this person was my field training officer at one point didn't know my name and she was um pursuing super uh, you know getting promoted i was like you gotta be kidding you don't know my name and we sat in the same car together for a month and it was just beyond frustrating so it shows you you know how important everything you're saying Michelle and I really hope these either the supervisors listening or the soon to be supervisors listening take all these things into effect because it makes such a big difference and that's one of the things too like I agree 100% with you when I think about the supervisors that were my favorites it wasn't because they were the most knowledgeable it wasn't because they were the most stoic or because they had you know all these different unit experiences it was because they cared about me as a person it was because if the shit hit the did hit the fan they came out and they helped it's because they knew enough of, they knew my name they would ask me questions they would talk to me on calls it's because they showed me that they cared those were always my favorite supervisors so if something you can ask people is think of your favorite supervisors and why why were they your favorite supervisors? Mm-hmm. You're probably not going to be, you're probably not going to get an answer of because that person was the most book smart person I've ever met. And they knew every statue off, you know, off the top of their head. It's going to be, it's probably going to be an answer around because I was able to talk to them because they cared about me because when something happened to my family, they gave me the time off and sent flowers to the house. You know, it, it's going to be something that shows them that they cared. That's what people remember. They remember how you made them feel versus, you know, how, what you've said to them and and things like that. People always remember how you made them feel and you want people to feel like you care. You don't want people to say the Lieutenant doesn't know my name. She doesn't know that my son's in the hospital right now. That's, that's a horrible feeling. So, you know, and I told my sergeants, if something major is going on with your deputies, let me know so I can reach out to them. So if, if something does happen and a deputy's wife or husband or child's in the hospital, I'm going to call them and I'm going to ask, how's everything going? What do you need? How can I help you? Do you need time off? Do you need donated time? What, what can I do to make things better? That Mm -hmm. speaks volumes versus, Hey, I knew this general order off the top of my head, you Mm -hmm. know, like, right. And that's why, you know, the, uh, promotional process that's in a lot of these agencies where it comes down to a test and it comes down to an interview about certain scenarios, but it doesn't, and, and and the test and the interview is typically proctored by people that don't know this person as an officer and as a person. I feel like that's the discredit we get because 
yeah, you look great when you pass a test and you know the right ways to answer these scenario-based questions or these uh, statue or policy-based questions. But, you know, when something terrible happens and there's a family emergency, how is this person going to act as a person and, you know, make sure their people are okay? And I think I think you're absolutely right. It's It's great. If you know all the general orders and you, you know, really know, uh, you know, this emergency management system. Great. Good job. Kudos to you. Uh, anybody can do that. Anybody can study it for a test and pass that. But at the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, the important part is how you treat your people like people. And I think that's that's what it comes down to. And and like you said, you know, you, you think about who your favorite supervisors were, who your favorite training officers were. It was the people that didn't make you feel subservient, you know, made you feel like you were one of the team. It was that and that they led by example. They, they didn't leave you out to, out to dry. If there was bar fights, you know, I, maybe I don't expect them to be getting in, in, into a bar fight, but they were at least on scene. <laughs> they at right. least came to you when you said, hey, that there, there's an issue. They're not still at the coffee shop. Like people, you're never going to forget that. No, never. You know, never. You're, you're, not, you're never going to and there's nothing she can do. I mean, maybe, maybe in the future to try to remedy that, but people don't forget things like that. So that was an opportunity for her to seize the moment as a leader and say, Hey, I'm on my way and put down her coffee. And, you know, again, even if she's not going to get in a bar fight, like at least go to the area, make phone calls if she needs to, or start directing people, um, you know, whatever she, it is that she needs to do and show her presence. That was a moment that she, that she failed. Yeah, it was just bizarre, and you're right. I'll never, I'll never forget that. Um, unfortunately, she's continued to get promoted since then. But again, it's it, you can pass a test, but that doesn't mean you're a good leader. Right. Exactly. I, I 100% agree. So, I think we kind of touched on it, but I'd like to kind of get it officially for the people listening who they're at that point of their career where they're like, you know what, the promotional process is starting. Uh, I, I meet the requirements. I think I'm going to do it, but I'm not sure. I'm kind of on the fence. What would be some deciding factors like, or, or motivation or just kind of insight? Would you give that person who might be on the fence about promoting? What would, what would your, you say to them? I would think of like what you had asked me, what is the reason for you to get promoted? If it's, if it's, it's better pay, or, hey, I could go back to night shift right now. That works out for my family. Those are not reasons to get promoted. It should be that you want to lead by example. You want to be able to help other people. You want to make positive changes in the agency. Like, you feel like you have ideas. You feel that um, you can make changes in the agency. Um, you feel like you could direct others. Uh, you feel that you're going to make the agency a better place. It, it really is about the agency and the people working for it. So you got to kind of remove the selfish parts of it, which would be maybe a better schedule, maybe more pay, maybe because you want to be called Sergeant. Like those are not reasons to get promoted. It, it should be that you think you lead well, you enjoy helping other people, you enjoy instructing other people. Um, you have a reputation where you feel that people will listen to you because you've done well in your career. You have positive changes that you want to make for the agency. Those are reasons that you would want to get promoted and, um, you know, continue to, to climb the ladder. So you got to really weigh like, what is it that you seek? What are the pros and cons for that person? Yeah. I, and if, I the agree. Con, if the cons are, you know, if the cons are more responsibility and, um, 
you know, going to have to really know the statute more and really know uh, more information, then, then don't get promoted. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the, I think the, the responsibility and things like that, that's kind of things that people forget about. You know, it, it's hard to, you know, it's easy to forget, I should say. All right, so then my this will be my last question. We're going to we're going to cut it after this. Now, cuz I I've experienced this or kind of vicariously through other people. Let's say you get promoted and you're working a squad and things just aren't what you thought it would be. It's not as easy or, you know, it's you're get, you're facing more challenges than you had expected. One person that's talked to me spent a long time as a sergeant in the, in the detective bureau got sent back to the road, working the road and has come across, you know, this new class of, of rookie cops that need to be had their hand held and, and kind of guided through things. They're not really motivated to do things self-initiated. Another example I have is again, this Sergeant working nights and he's used to, or his squad is used to being coddled and to the point where he's begging for these people to help or to do their job, basically. What kind of insight, what kind of advice could you give those sergeants? Those are two examples, but there's many out there um, to kind of get their guys and, or girls uh, back, you know, get their fire started, get them going, so that way the sergeants don't, or, or any leader, they don't get burnt out trying to get their guys to work. So if people, for us, if deputies aren't taking calls... And if they're not alleviating issues that arise, like a traffic issue or somebody's complaining about drugs coming from this area or somebody's complaining about juveniles at the park, if a deputy is not alleviating that and taking those calls, that means somebody else will. And we are a team here. And what I don't want to see is one person being lazy and the other person being overworked. That's not fair and that shouldn't be tolerated. I would have a discussion with the sergeants or the deputy and and let them know, like, we're a team and I would try to get to that person to see the bigger picture. Like, look, we all get tired. There's all calls that we don't want to go to, but what you're doing is you're letting down the whole team. And if the, if one person in the team is weak, then it's going to cause bad morale for the entire team. Cause they're going to say, well, why am I going to 10 calls when Joe's only taking one? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to start to see, well, I'm not going to do this. If Joe's not going to do this. And then the whole team will start to fall. I would yeah. just re- remind people that you don't want to let your team down. People are going to remember they're going to remember your reputation. They're going to remember Joe was the lazy one in sector two that never took his calls. I would want that person to say, wow, I didn't realize that I was being lazy. I just, you know, had a bad week or something like that. I would talk to them, see what's going on in their life. Hey, I noticed a change in your behavior. You're not taking calls anymore. What's going on? Maybe something's going on at home. Maybe they're just burnt out because they don't like that area. And as I mentioned earlier, okay, you don't want to go to the mall anymore and deal with shoplifters. Maybe we can move you to a different zone because your behavior and your work product is not acceptable and you're letting down your team. Your team is having to step up because you're not being reliable. And then I would see if there's another place that maybe they would be a little bit more proactive or I would ask, is there something that you want to do? Yeah, I want to do traffic, but I don't have a radar. Okay, well then let's get you a radar. Um, But I think the first thing that people tend to to forget about is that we need to work as a team out here. This is not just one person running calls, especially when it comes to backup. If you have somebody that's lazy as backup and somebody's going to calls by themselves, that will absolutely not be tolerated because if it comes down to a deputy or officer's safety and somebody being lazy, then that needs to be reprimanded immediately. 
Like, we're not going to tolerate, you're not going to go back somebody up because you're, you know, you're being lazy or because you didn't want to cut your, your dinner short. We make sure that we always have backup and we make sure that people are safe. And if that, if that comes down to, you know, having a PMP or, or furthering that with reprimand, we absolutely will. But if it comes to taking calls and the person's being lazy, again, I would just be like, you are a team player here. You're letting down the team. How can I assist you? What's going on? There was a change in your behavior. Where do you want to be in the agency? Are you burnt out with control? Maybe we need to get you into a different unit. guys that's the weird ending that i was telling you about some three hours ago it was like a different lifetime back then um but so it 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 did unfortunately she hit some uh some bad cell service and we lost our conversation but i think you guys pretty much got the idea of what we were talking about this episode you know we talk about the different things that need to be addressed we're in a we're in a point where law enforcement and law enforcement officers are not feeling fulfilled they're not having that sense or they have that sense of purpose, but it's not enough anymore. And, you know, it's great to be supported by having your people say, Hey man, I got you. You're doing a great job. That's good. That leads to a certain point, but then it gets to a certain point where it's like, that's not enough. And we become desensitized. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job. Just like when people come to us in restaurants and say, Hey man, I got your back blue. I got your back blue. And I can make fun of that. Cause that's what one of my stickers say. And it's, it's all fine and dandy. And that's great. But it doesn't change the fact that we're overworked, underpaid, underappreciated. You know, what are we going to do? So I hope if you're a leader, you took some notes. I hope there was something noteworthy. I definitely think there was. And if you're thinking about becoming a leader, maybe you got some ideas of where to steer your career from there. And if you're none of the two, whether you're just a, a grunt cop or you're just a cop supporter, maybe it's giving you some insight into the leadership that uh, is above you. Or, you know, the the cops that work for you if you're just a Joe Citizen. Anyway, that that is it, folks. That is the episode today. Next week, Tom Rizzo comes back. We've got a Tom Rizzo doubleheader. He's on this week. He's on next week. Next week, we are talking specifically about uh, leadership again and his book, Kapikaze, which is out on Amazon right now for you to buy. So if you want to buy it, get it and read it in time for our episode next week. You'll have an idea of what we're talking about. Again, it's called Kapikaze by Tom Rizzo or Thomas Rizzo, uh, if you if you're nasty. And uh, um, and that's it, guys. That concludes our episode today. Thank you very much for tuning in. Rate, review, subscribe, share with everyone you know. This is one of those episodes that I would say everyone needs to hear it. I think we touched on a lot of good points. And that's about it, folks. We are wrapping it up. To, uh, like I said, Tom Rizzo next week. 
Take care of each other. Stay safe. Check out the merch store. We'll see you next time. 10-8. Out. Oh my god, I thought you'd never stop. Running your mouth, dude. Where do you get off? And thanks again to all your friends for telling you it's super cool to assume that I don't know a fucking thing. Thanks for asking.